podcast for 2016, the whole year. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian McCransky. Uh, you can just call me Buddy. What is that from? <sighs> but Tomahawk. Is it? I don't know. We'll have to ask him in a moment. But from the debates, Trump and Hillary. Uh, don't bring those up, Kelly Wand. Speaking oh. of... 2016, it's part of history. Oh, Kelly Wand, do you have a tagline for 2016? No. <laughs> All right, but you do have a plot synopsis for it, right? No. <laughs> well, it case, it's bad we're, writing. Well, we're just going to have to get to our, our 10 favorite movies. 2016, we're going to talk about those. We're each going to uh, pick a most surprising, most disappointing movie, and most su- uh, – wait, favorite thingy, I believe. That's, it's basically the dingus category. We'll end with that. Um, so we've had, we've had a lot of math here. We've all submitted a top ten list. Number ten gets one point. Number nine gets two points, and so on until our number <laughs> one movie gets ten points. Going in the order of which movies scored the most points, and in ties – uh, we break ties alphabetically. Uh, we're just going to run down this list and work our way to, I guess, what would be the best movie of 2016, according to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. We also, a listener, uh, one of our favorite listeners who's been so incredibly supportive of this podcast, uh, Chris Markerson, I asked him to send me his top ten. So oh, good. They're not figured into the math, I'm afraid. Uh, he's, he's from Canada, so he's not eligible to be counted in the math. But there's some of the movies we're going to mention that I want to point out that uh, Chris liked as well. And uh, he's written us some comments. Because Chris, by the way, is also great, and I invite other listeners to consider this. He's great about seeing the movies that we're going to see and sending us a couple of comments. Uh, And we'd invite you guys to always feel free to do that when we announce the movie we're seeing next week. Feel free to see it and say a couple of things you'd like us to mention on the air, maybe something you'd like us to talk about or a question you have for us, send that in to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com, and we'd love to include that in our discussion. So, and then maybe if you're prolific enough, you'll also be included in the 2017 top 10 list like Chris Markinson. Yeah. And I have to tell you people, it is such a joy to read uh, his emails because he does, he is assiduous in going to see the movies that we see. I love I love that about him. He's doing more work than we are because he's archiving everything too, and just seeing the movie, doing comments like that's all that we're doing. Right, exactly. Chris Markinson is really the engine behind this podcast. To be fair, yeah, we just show up and babble. We yeah. just get credit for his work. <laughs> all right. So what we have done this year <laughs> is given a movie one point. What that means, it was only on one person's list as his or her. Number 10 pick. <laughs> Dig, wait, hold on. Let me, oh, good Lord. Already oh, my wow. mind. <laughs> half, this is the worst list I've ever done. So. <laughs> I know. Kelly Wan, you sent me your list with that topic header. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Dingus, what is your 10th favorite movie of 2017? Uh, because I saw a movie with this name, and it is not the one you're talking about. Uh, no, uh, it is not the movie you were talking about. Um, this is a movie called Blue Jay. Let me stop you there. So Blue Jay is about a dude and a chick who go hiking on a mountain and are stalked by uh, murderous hillbillies who may or may not be supernatural, right? Because I saw that movie. Yeah, it's not that at all. <laughs> I think it's like that. That's, that doesn't sound like a dingus movie. 
That's his number 10? Can I ruin the end of Blue Jay, by the way? The end of Blue Jay, she goes through hell. Her boyfriend gets killed. These murderous hillbillies stalk her. She thinks they want to murder her. She gets down off of the mountain and tries to take refuge in a small town but discovers, oh, the house where she's holed up. It's somebody who is friends with these murderous hillbillies. The murderous hillbillies come in, and just when they're friends, you think, well, that's the thing: is their whole goal has been to get her to become one of them. And you know, she's turned to violence, and she killed one of them. So she's now a murderous hillbilly. And at the end of the movie, she has to adopt a hillbilly name, like her her murderous hillbilly name. Can you guys guess what it is? Because it's the last line of the movie. Butterfat. Close. <laughs> it's Blue Jay. It begins with the same letter. Oh, uh, it's spoiler. So the movie is called Blue Jay, and this was Dingus apparently your 10th favorite movie of 2016? Hillbillies don't have friends. They have family, by the way. I love – well, you know, if you can't have friends, you might as well have family. A little thin. Yeah, this is the – I think that's Motel 6 before they said, we'll leave the light on for you. Oh, real quick, for reals, because Dingus, I want to hear about the other Blue Jay in a second. What is – call me – what is your buddy reference from? Because just the intonation of the word buddy. Oh, wait. Is it? Bone Tomahawk? Nope, it's not Bone Tomahawk, but it is my it is from my most surprising movie of the year. So we we'll hold that thought then until we office Christmas party. It sounds like it's something like I can hear the line being said. That's Bone Tomahawk. He's saying, "Buddy, you're pretty annoyed." Yeah, I can't use Bone Tomahawk since that was my number ten movie from last year. So shoot, all right, we'll stop. Once we work our way down the list, we'll get to Dingus's most surprising movie, and that will reveal the mystery of what is that buddy line from. But in the meantime, Dingus, tell us why you liked Blue Jay so much. All right, so do you guys remember Creep? Yeah. Nightly. Peach Fuzz. Peach Fuzz, exactly. I have my Peach Fuzz nightmares. Working title, Peach Fuzz. All right, do you remember do you remember the town that Creep that or where Creep felt like it was mainly shot? I remember them going to a diner. What'd you say? A diner and like a hillside with water things on it. As I call it. A diner and a hillside (laughs) with water things on it. Well, it felt like like Uh, Big Bear or this small California town that was kind of in the hinterland or just somewhere out there, just not not a well populated place, but uh, but kind of Hicksville a little bit. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Well, although I did think Big Bear and they were trying to make us think it was somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Um, Blue Jay feels like that – it feels like to me Mark Duplass okay, – because, okay, this is uh, directed by a guy named Alex Lehman who's done this and one other thing, and it's written by Mark Duplass. And um, it feels like they did Creep, and then Mark Duplass is like, well, I'm already up here. Um you know, I think I'll do something else. And I've got this house. Uh, let me call a couple of friends, and uh, you know, Hillbills. we're gonna do an, we're gonna do another movie as well. We'll just do another movie. And this feels like the movie that I would have preferred to see because I was not a big fan of Creep. I think you both were. Yeah. Uh, Blue Jay is really uh, about this this guy who runs into his high school sweetheart, and they end up spending the day together. It's very much that you know sort of. I don't know, before sunrise, but people who already know each other. And it very much has this feel of improv about it. And it's uh, it's Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson. Um, and Sarah Paulson is an actress I am crazy about. I'm absolutely nuts about her. Mainly from this 
Aaron Sorkin television show that nobody liked but me uh, called um, uh, 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 Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. It's not, it's not what it's actually called. I can't really think about it right now because I'm just nervous about talking about the movie. Um, uh, but it was a, an, a failed Aaron Sorkin show, and she was uh, just excellent in it. She's been in a, a, a bunch of other things that we would recognize her from. Um, and the two of them work so well together. They are so natural together. Uh, and there's this great um, – thing that develops between them as as the as they get back into their relationship and as they talk and it's a black and white movie as well and it's it definitely feels like it's in that kind of like big bear kind of area but but a crappier version of that um uh it definitely feels like an improv within an improv that develops between them uh it it it's only at, it snuck in at number 10. It almost didn't make it because the third act kind of disappoints me. Um, but they're so good together. They work so well together. And Sarah Paulson is so good um, that I really just fell for this movie right away. Kelly, why can you believe he didn't tell us about it before we did our lists? Yeah, I thought it was the hillbilly one, but until he started describing the plot, like, went, oh, Mark Duplass made a hillbilly horror movie about a possessed woman. Because well, he, he, yeah. he, he, he finished Creep, and then while he figured while he was still in the hill, they'd make a hillbilly movie. And well, then... I think that, for, for me, it was more like, well, I'm up here, I made this uh, creepy horror movie, and now I need a palate cleanser, and so he made a relationship movie. Or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe he did this and it was so emotionally draining that he made a horror movie. Um, who knows? Uh, but it definitely feels like it's in the same sort of uh, environmental space, um, even though the character is very different. Uh, and, you know, sometimes he can be – I don't know. I, I really, really love Mark Duplass, but sometimes he's better in smaller doses, you know, like in um, – Oh jeez, what's the uh, what's the Ben Stiller movie where he just shows up? Damn it, uh, uh, Greenberg. Greenberg. <laughs> you know that Greenberg. shit dries out your lips. Yeah. yeah, I love I love little bits of of Mark Duplass like that, but he does a really great job here, and partly, you know, no, not partly, mainly because Sarah Paulson's so good at playing off of him, and she's so giving. Um, and I often don't have a lot of patience for a movie that feels like it's improv, uh, but this really feels right. It goes in some interesting directions. Um, there's some great little concepts that happen. Um, the quote I would give from it is, uh, we wanted to, we were wanting to go traveling, uh, which you'll know when you see the movie. And then there's this thing about that I, that I totally hooked into about book reading mortality that they talk about. Um, and that's that thing of like, I've got, you know, if I look at these books on this shelf, I just realize there is no way I'm going to be able to read all of these books before I die. There's no way. Looking at the rate that I read books, and this is very close to my heart. I mean, you guys know I've been reading Under the Skin for three years or four years now. It takes me forever to read a book. But when I look, 
you know, I remember having this, this feeling at some point in my life where I looked at all the books that I had on my list of books I wanted to read and looked at the rate at which I was reading books. And I realized there's no way I'm going to read all the books I want to read by the time before I die, no matter how fast I read, there's no way that's going to happen. And that, that kind of, this movie has that kind of, uh, that ability to kind of inspire me. Well, Kelly Wan similarly, uh, oh, actually, no, not, yeah, Kelly Wan, here's another movie that only you picked on your list. So, Dingus, we don't have a lot to say about Blue Jay because Kelly Wan and I haven't seen it. So, that's I don't think, I didn't think anybody finish. would, but that's cool. I don't think Dingus is going to finish reading Under the Skin by the time he dies, but he's going to have a long life. <laughs> that's awfully bleak, Kelly Wan. Yeah. Kelly Wan, tell us about your 10th favorite movie, also a movie that only one person picked, and it was his or her 10th favorite, so it only got one point. Wait, is it? Is it? <laughs> <You> forgot <laughs> your well, list. Kelly Wan, let me yeah. give you, I'm going to start saying it, and you. it's called Swiss... Ah, oh, Swiss Army Man. There you go. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, that's my 10th favorite movie of the year, Tingus, because it's kind of about relationships, too. I don't know. I like Swiss Army Man. It's uh, it passes the Bechdel test, and mm-hmm. also no, it doesn't. Wait, <laughs> it pass the, I don't think do you know what the Bechdel test is. Yeah. <laughs> it might pass a dude Bechdel, like a Mister Bechdel test. Well, that's what I meant. It passes the dude Bechdel test because they don't just talk about it. Oh my God! You're fired from all Bechdel test evaluations from now on, Kelly. One total. It aces the Bechdel test, the male Bechdel test. It's not. It's not what's happening? Right and uh, I like it's. The, I think it's the first movie where Paul Dano doesn't die, even though he's on the verge of it for the whole movie. So I like that. It's unique. Um, I like Daniel Radcliffe as a uh, as an American, um, and I think it's it's a movie where it's either jumps the shark before the credits for you, or it'll basically never jump the shark because it'll only skirt up against that edge for the rest of the movie. But. Um, I don't know. I found it a very pleasant viewing experience. All right. Uh, Kelly Wan, you also were the only one to pick your number nine favorite movie, so therefore it gets two points. What is your ninth favorite movie of 2016? Because I, when, when I saw this, Kelly Wan, I was like, oh, that was a 2016 movie? Oh, wait. So that's... Um, oh, wow. <laughs> wait, give me a hint. <laughs> Do you not have your list in front of you? Kelly, okay, I'll start saying the name, and you just... Pick it up when you know what it is. It's called Hard... Oh, Hardcore Henry. Yeah, Hardcore Henry. Okay, that's probably the stupidest one on my list, even. But I liked it more than uh, Swiss Army Man, because I thought it lagged less. But the reason Hardcore Henry's on my list, you got to bear with me. It's kind of a weird reason. Here's the thing. It's like Gravity. Um, which it was on, on, I think, all of our lists. But it's a movie, it's 90% about a character who's trying to move around, which I really like as, as like a movie concept. And it satisfies my takes place in a single day theorem. And it's what I kind of assumed Doom the movie was going to be. And Crank wishes that it was. It's just sustained, blood-soaked retardation. It certainly uh, made – it was great use, finally, of Charlotte Copley. Like, it really let him play. That was one of my favorite things about it, is how, how playful it was, how playful he was, and how playful the movie was with what it did with his character. Yeah, I like the gimmick, 
of him, they can kill him off. Too. That, that's, that's, so just real quick, we want to try not uh, to spoil no, things. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk generally about movies, but and for guys like us, everything's a spoiler. But for normal people, we're going to try not to spoil things by giving uh, twists away and stuff. Well, if I leave it at that, it's even it's it's not even a spoiler, really. It's just misleading. Uh, no, fair enough. I mean, and, and you can be the arbiter of what you feel is and isn't a spoiler. Just keep in mind, we want this to be open to folks who haven't seen these movies. Uh, Right, but it is hard for Henry too. Like, is anyone who hasn't seen it yet going, "Oh, he dies in a fuck"? Like, that's. I wish Kelly hadn't told me that part. Probably right. everyone. It's true. Uh, and but, a great little uh, just just a touch of Tim Roth. Yeah, it always. I is. think I try to I try to round out my lists since they're fairly arbitrary anyway because they just encompass things that came out in a 12-month period, but like with the little different kinds of movies. And so Hardcore Henry is like the dumbest action movie that sort of... I didn't... It was one of those movies that kind of grew on me after I saw it, too. Because mm-hmm. I originally saw it in German. <laughs> and it has kind of a plot that doesn't really make a lot of sense when you hear it in English, so it was being translated for me by a women's. And she was refusing to translate certain lines if she found them annoying. So when Charlton Copley goes, uh, he he tells Hard Henry to meet him. This is a bit of a spoiler. He tells him to meet him at a strip club, and he tells him, just go ahead and knock on the knockers. Like, I had to find that line out later because uh, she refused to, like, say what that So was. you basically, it was like seeing an airline cut of a movie. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all yeah. right, Hard Yep, Kelly One's ninth favorite, the only yep. one who had Hardcore Henry. Although I, I quite liked Hardcore Henry, just I liked ten movies better. One of the movies I liked better, can't believe this wasn't on either of you guys' list, uh, a little indie horror movie shot in New York. And as someone who has a weakness for, for horror that is different, that has a twist, uh, that's part of why this is on my list. Uh, it's very much a first-time director movie. It has some raw but really good performances to it. Uh, and what I love about it, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it's just why I like it. What I love about it is at the last minute it decides it's not a horror movie. And it's something called They Look Like People. Uh, and, and while it is a horror movie, before it decides to do a little something different at the end, while it is a horror movie, it is a really, really creepy one uh, in an understated, creepy way. There are no jump scares in this. Uh, what there is instead, uh, there's a moment with a, an actress, a character named Maya, where she smiles and something odd happens. And that moment gets burned into my brain because that kind of stuff is how you scare me, is how you freak me out. A jump scare doesn't freak me out. It falls flat and makes me annoyed. But a moment like Maya's weird smile moment uh, gets burned into my brain because I'm sitting there looking at it, and that moment is like a frog in boiling water. The frog doesn't realize the water is boiling. I don't realize that I'm looking at something really creepy until it's too late. Uh, I get tricked into sitting there watching the screen, and then it turns into something creepy very gradually. Uh, so I loved that moment, and they look like people. Uh, I liked the performances. I liked the relationships. And most importantly, because this is rare in a horror movie, I really, really liked the payoff for how unique it was. So that is my ninth favorite. Similarly, Dingus, the only – this is a movie we all liked, but you were the only one to have it on your list. What was your ninth favorite movie of 2016? I was uh, really crazy about Triple Nine. Um, and the more I thought about it uh, as I was making my list and things kind of jockeyed around on the list and, and 
I don't understand anybody who is talking about this year as a bad year for movies because I I had a top ten list at the beginning of December, um, which is rare for me. Uh, and this was on that list, and it, it it moved up and down, and it moved off, and it moved back on. Um, but mainly, it. What'd you say? Hover near ninth because it's got nines in it. So I thought. Oh, yeah, that's very, very clever gimmick, Dingus. You obviously did that. Yeah. Only your ninth favorite. He's saying it's a coincidence, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. Huh? Right. Right. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> um, but when I think about that sequence, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of sequences in this movie that are just without parallel. Or I shouldn't say that. Uh, they called to mind things in Heat. They called to mind a couple other things. Um, but uh, I, I just think Casey Affleck is so good in this. Um, and I think Anthony Mackie is so good in this. And that, and the way that street chase works out uh, is fantastic. That whole, you know, from going through the apartment, that whole sequence where the apartment then doesn't seem to end. And, um, and then the smoke coming out of that guy's mouth. Again, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, and then also the the car on the median. There 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 were so many images in this movie that just stuck with me, and I did just think that I think John Hillcoat really got back. Um, it, it is John Hillcoat, right? I'm right about that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's the yeah. position John Hillcoat, not so much the road and the lawless John Hillcoat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I really think he got his groove back in this yeah. movie in a major way. Um, so, yeah, I was crazy about this movie. That is always encouraging, Dingus, is someone uh, comes out with a great movie and you're like, oh, I'm going to keep my eye on this guy. And then he does a couple of clunkers and you're like, oh, OK, maybe yeah. not. Maybe he just got lucky. And then you realize somewhere down the line, oh, yeah, when he applies himself or when he's got the material of the actors or whatever it takes, yeah, he can still really come through. And that was my feeling about John Hillcoat after Triple Nine. That was a great – yeah. Right, and it was written by a dude named Matt Cook who did this – who also wrote The Duel, which you didn't care for. Um which I forced you to watch, uh, but but I liked a lot of, and uh, and unfortunately he's also done Patriots Day, which probably isn't that oh. good. But oh um, wait a minute, so Matt Cook wrote Patriots Day? Um, yeah, he wrote oh. the screenplay for Patriots. Well, you know it's fifty fifty. The writer of Triple Nine uh, and the writer of uh, that Woody Harrelson dual movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that thing is that makes me more excited for Patriots Day. Thank you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but John Hilko really, I thought, really earned his way back into my heart. Kelly Wand, what was your seventh favorite movie of 2016? And, and do I need to start saying the name and then you come in? Ready? No, I found my list. Ah, good. Kelly Wand, what's your I seventh? I remember he, it so he, He's finally looked at his forearm where he wrote it in Sharpie. <laughs> ah, is that a memento joke? <laughs> Shut up, Kelly. No one asked you. My number seven is a movie. We didn't do a podcast about it. We got a lot of people. Not a lot. I mean, some folks said to me, when are you doing a podcast on this movie? And, and I, my response was, well, I mean, we never got around to it. I, That's the thing. You didn't like it. I thought it was great. So it's, I was surprised. Oh, good. Did. I'm excited about this. Yeah, so, you don't yeah, know, how, does, how does Dingus know what we're talking about already? Huh? I'm guessing. No, you're right. You got it. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, Wait, good. I'm, know, we're going to talk right about from, Yes, we're like that. Much were that synergistic where you know what he thinks you're saying, or he just you just saw him click on something. 
No, no, no. I know. I know. I know. He knows. I mean, we've talked about this. It's. Uh, well, I'm getting it from the complex, co- the context clues. I'm getting it. Let's go. Let's do this. It's. I mean, I'm, I stack it. I could say it's a rival. I'm stacking it against like yeah. science fiction movies, and there's not. It's really barren field. Like for really good science fiction, you kind of have to go to the literature. Mm-hmm. And I just and so good idea, good science fiction is they usually like they usually lindle off it, and so it's usually kind of a shitty <laughs> pastiche. Like there's a great Henry Cutner story called Mimsy Where the Bora Goes about these toys from the future that these kids find today. And then it sort of like transforms them, and they turn into this sh- the shittiest fucking Disney movie. Um, it's they turned it into like Cocoon too. It's a real bummer. And the whole thing is about how the parents kind of get left behind and the kids kind of fuck them over. Um, but Arrival, by the t- by the standards of science fiction movies, is pretty good. Like it has a really good idea. And it's based on like a short story, and I thought Amy Adams gave a really good performance in it. And um, I was surprised you didn't like it, actually, because I remember you, you saying like you were kind of let down by where it went. But I, thought uh, well, it was, like, I will say it's, it's on my list this year. Uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I, Arrival was the most disappointing movie for me because a, a lot of what people like didn't work for me. And the, the script is one of the things. And uh, I didn't feel that the I, I love the buildup, but the payoff and where the script wants to go just didn't work for me at all. And I also Kelly Wand, I am not liking Amy Adams in these weighty roles. Uh, she's not selling it for me. I like, tried to do really well. well nocturnal, to, nocturnal animals works because of uh, how it ends up. Like I liked, but yeah. as I'm watching Nocturnal Animals, I was like, oh my god, quit trying to make Amy Adams all brooding and serious and tragic. Uh, so it worked. I, I'm nocturnal animals. I'm okay with that. But uh, yeah, she didn't work for me uh, in Arrival. I will uh, say though, uh, Chris Markinson uh, liked Arrival enough that it was his number seven pick, uh, and he especially calls out. Uh, he says, "I also like the fact that Jeremy Renner played the role that women used to almost exclusively." Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. love that. That is yeah, awesome. A, That's a great, great. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think I'll give you that it's like – it's sort of a cheat. It's sort of where the fact – it's vague on certain points that wouldn't really make sense. Like she would be going, wait, what's going on? Like, and I don't – yeah, and I, I don't – yeah, and I don't, I don't mean to hold forth about what, what, whether it works for me, but uh, I, I don't mind the sort of the trickery of it. I just didn't like the tone shift that it expected to have. I mean I showed up. For really? A, a for a, what do you mean the tone shift? I, I'm, I'm confused about that. I showed up for a really... For the trickery, cool, yeah. Uh, I showed up for a really cool First Contact movie about First Contact with aliens. Yeah. And it becomes something very different. It's not the point it wants to make. The First Contact with the aliens is, uh, by the time it's over, not the main substance of the movie. Uh, and it's for a very specific reason that was very important to the short story, and obviously mm-hmm. the guy who adapted the script. But when it did that, I was like, wait a minute. I was really enjoying your first Contact movie, and now you're selling me this, and this doesn't work for me. So, uh, yeah, and, and I, I couldn't mm-hmm. say too much without ruining it, but um, I, I didn't. I liked it. Hmm? Well, I didn't see a ton. I did see – I really liked that the aliens were more alien than they are in most movies like oh, this. Because you can't 
Well, and um, Denis Villeneuve, I mean, as a director, yeah. I love production design. Uh, I, I think my, my issue with uh, Villeneuve is that he needs a good script, and I don't think Prisoners was a good script. Prisoners was this weird apology for torture, uh, and I also have a similar problem with Arrival. But when the guy is given something like uh, you know, Sicario or Enemy, uh, neither of which he wrote, by the way, he's – not a writer, he's a director, and he's a tremendous director. But when the guy gets a good script, he can do no wrong in my mind. So uh, I did enjoy his direction, and I enjoyed his production design. The stuff you're mentioning, Kelly Wand, about the aliens, yeah, I really liked that. And I like the idea of Amy Adams' character, because what she does is kind of heroic, and it's kind of like she's sort of a courageous heroine, and that's kind of rare. I, I, it makes me – there's a Chinese science fiction novel I just read called The Three-Body Problem. That's the, and I think it's coming out as a movie this year that I'm really excited about, and it's the kind of thing where I, I, I hope that like a rival – like they fused Dennis Vil- how do you say his fucking name? Denis uh, Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you do Denis say Villeneuve. all the letters except the S in Dennis. Yeah. Denis yeah. Villeneuve. Well, anyway, it's just I like it's about it's more about ideas than we get with most science fiction. Like most most movie science fictions like kind of flatliners or fucking Tomorrowland or Battle LA <laughs> or Battle LA or don't forget Passengers. Yeah. I haven't Ooh. seen it yet. You shouldn't. Passengers is horrible. Everyone. What hates I like it. about what I like about Arrival is how much it has to say about language, and I, yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing I really love about the structure of the movie, is how it's uh, it's 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 essentially puzzle solving as far as linguistics is concerned, and that was the thing that interested me most about it, and that she's such a great uh, and interesting character as far as figuring that out. Um, I really like that. I like that aspect of the movie, that that's what the movie turns out to be about. It's, it's really fun for me. I mean, I really like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So also a movie that only one person had on his list is uh, my sixth favorite movie of 2016 was a bit of a train wreck. Uh, and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, God. And it thought about it some more, and then I went and I saw it again, and – it really got its hooks in me that second time, and I, I really like it, and I like it even more in the wake of Trump being elected. Uh, and the movie is uh, High Rise, which has been Wheatley's movie basically about the collapse of the social structure. Uh, and he's taken it from a science fiction novel, and he's made it his own. And as I said, it's a bit of a train wreck. Uh, it has this out-of-control feeling which I think is the point of it, and I don't know that that was intentional by Ben Wheatley. Uh, he can be hit or miss, but I, I think this turned out to be, for me, a big hit. And I really hated the end at the bit, the, the bit at the end where he has a, someone listening to a Margaret Thatcher speech. And I was my, my thinking was, dude, you've made this great general political point, and now you're trying to relate it yeah, to something – you're trying to relate it to something that doesn't fit because I, I feel that Thatcher's unfairly reviled by people who, frankly, don't understand politics very well. It's, she's a convenient uh, whipping boy for creative types, whatever. So I, I, didn't, I, I thought that didn't work. And if I were to just play a little bit of a Trump speech that the boy is listening to at the end, it would make perfect sense to me. It would, everything would come home, and it would be, like, it, it would be so incredibly relevant at this point. Uh, so for uh, – and this figures into some of my picks. You, you know, the election in 2016 was a very significant moment for a lot of people, and it's going to color some of my picks, and it just made me appreciate the chaos and the point and even uh, 
uh, Ben Wheatley wanting to put his own little political point at the end that he obviously feels strongly about. Uh, so uh, that was my sixth favorite movie of the year. Uh, Chris Markinson also put it on his list, uh, and he wrote about it. Um, where did High Rise go? Uh, that he, he got to go to it knowing nothing about it, uh, and he says that uh, – this isn't a spoiler – uh, you know what it kind of is. He says there's, there's, there's a scene, there's a morning after scene, a variation on the morning after scene when a couple has gotten together that is really uncomfortable and difficult to watch. And Chris Markinson points out that it's really uh, powerful. Uh, and, yeah, so there's some really good acting in this. Uh, Luke Evans and Sienna Miller uh, have that, that scene that, that Chris Markinson called out. So uh, High Rise, my sixth favorite of the year. You guys didn't like it enough to put on your list. Dings didn't even mm. like it, by the way. It's just me and you, Kelly. I had the yeah. same experience you did, though. The first time I saw it, I was like, meh. And then I watched it again, like a week later, like not even a yeah. long time ago, right after. I went, wait, now everything's working. Like yeah. somehow, because I, I think it's, the first time you see it, it's a little hard to follow. Like it really jumps around a lot and it kind of doesn't want you. It sort of makes you work a little more than I was probably up to when I saw it. Well, a lot of things pay off a second time you see it. Yeah. There are a lot of little touches that might have felt messy the first time that I think click into a weird place when you see it a second time. It has an internal logic. And right. things are set up and pay off, and the characters are introduced fairly conventionally, like, and they sort of stay the same. Yeah. Um, except for Hiddleston. <laughs> but anyway... It's a good movie. It was I needed room for Hardcore Henry, obviously. But uh, <laughs> my number eleven. Uh, my my fourth favorite movie of the year was also I was the only one who picked this, and this for a long time was way up there. Uh, and I think again it gets to, and I'll talk a bit more about this. These picks, of course, and I don't need to explain this to you guys listening, but these picks say more about us than they do necessarily about the movies. And the three of us on this podcast all understand that. We're not trying to objectively tell you if something's better than the other. We're just talking about how we, we resonate with things. And the point I'm at in my life, I loved what this movie gave me, the kind of joy I got from it. And specifically because it was about a time I was growing up. And normally when these movies are made about a time I was growing up, uh, there's a little bit of sneering involved. And the time is portrayed with, with a, a sense of kitsch. Uh, the movies tend to poke fun. But when Richard Linkletter made a movie called Everybody Wants Some, and it's got two exclamation points after the title, you must remember that, uh, he just had, his, his warmth and affection was just in full force throughout this movie. And his cast channeled it beautifully. They are all just so charismatic and, and likable. And I just felt like they were my buddies, and I wanted to hang out with them. Uh, and I kind of feel like I never really was into School of Rock. I felt like that's a little bit too family-friendly. But I think this is how some people must feel about School of Rock. Uh, so just for how happy it made me watching it, how much I liked these actors. Uh, Blake Jenner's in a movie called Edge of Seventeen with Haley Steinfeld, which I didn't get to see, but which I'm dying to see because I love that guy. Uh, it introduced me to a bunch of actors I'd never seen before. Uh, and just overall, its warmth and affection uh, just won me over. So that was my fourth favorite movie this year. Hmm. Kelly Wand, you and I were the only one who put this movie on our list. It was a little higher for me. You only were like, eh, it's number eight. I, on the other hand, was like, oh, it's number seven for me. <laughs> Not the least bit. Also, Dingus didn't, Dingus didn't like this one either. Kelly Wand, what is your eighth favorite movie of 2016? 
My number eight is the motion picture Neon Demon by that Nicholas Wendigo Riffin character <laughs> from Dutchland, Denmark. He's Danish, right? Very I'm Danish. Absolutely. I thought he was Dutch. No, he's very Danish, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like a good David Lynch version of La La Land. I really liked its slowness. I like how it deglamorized necrophilia. Finally, Hollywood gets it. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of um, – there's a lot of movies on my list that I think certain people should see because they need it, even though it would be the last movie they would want to see. And so this would be my movie pick for, like, hot girls because I think it sort of, like, dissects why hot girls are, are crazy. So they're, like – they get scooped out of the run of the mill early on. And everyone's kind of hustling. I'm uncomfortable with the word scooped and talking out. about this. Never lets him forget. Never gives him a chance to bloom. Uh, Elle Fanning is so per- – wait, Elle Dakota. Yeah, this is Elle Fanning. Yeah. She is so perfectly harnessed as this uh, vacuous and ultimately vicious, uh, beautiful person, isn't she? Like it, yeah. it very yeah. – Yeah, vessel. And the, what happened – I mean the, the, the conclusion, like her her – how the movie ends up with her, uh, good lord, that payoff was – uh, for one thing, it, it was, again, a horror movie with a payoff gets huge points from me. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're going to make a horror movie, think about the awesome ending you want and then make the rest of the movie. And I feel that that's exactly what Nicholas Winding Refn did with Neon Demon. Yeah. He was like, how can I make this movie that has this grotesque ending? Uh, actually, a couple of them. A couple things happen at the end. And I feel like he builds – Kelly Wan, you said it was a slow burn as well. He builds a slow burn up to this really grotesque ending. And, and the movie's about – the and, and the juxtaposition is the juxtaposition of this is amazing how well he got it. The movie's about the grotesqueness of beauty, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a, a weird turn of phrase that doesn't no make one does sense. That. Yeah, yeah, no one does that, and the phrase doesn't even make sense unless you're watching Neon Demon. I feel yeah. it's also it's up there with I think it's vintage Nicholas Winding Refn. He has you know he made Drive, and I think he's kind of disparaged how mainstream it is. But uh, we love Drive. He did great things in Drive. You know, he doesn't feel that way. But this is vintage Nicholas Winding Refn, and it's up there with weird, unconventional, uncomfortable, brilliant movies like Valhalla Rising and Bronson. Yeah, uh, it's an it's an anti sellout. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there are parts of the movie, like you said, there are parts that are slow and that are uh, weird, assault, uh, weirdly assaultive. That's not a word. They kind of assault the audience with lighting or sound. Uh, yeah. There are parts of it that are like a Gaspar Noé movie. Uh, yeah, definitely. But it kind so, of tricks you into going, oh, it's a, it's a it's an erotic movie. But then by then you're like, nope, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm interested to hear you guys talk about this because one of my favorite quotes from this, and I didn't care for it, but I'm not going to assault this as your pick because I understand that it's a good movie. Um, but I love that, don't worry, honey, that whole deer in the headlights thing is what they want. Um, what I'm interested in is that Tom's talked about things like like a good movie or like I don't know what we talked about lately where you said it, it, it wasn't cynical and you liked that about that. Do you think this movie is cynical? Oh, very deeply, deeply. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, there's there's that great bit in the diner. Uh, oh, shoot. What's the actor's name? He's a young guy. He was also in Nocturnal Animals. He was in the Gaspar Noe movie called, I think, Love, where he had sex and swings his wang around a lot. Dadgummit. At any rate, uh, she's in it. Terminator? A, 
<laughs> she, she's in a diner with him, and someone says something along the lines of, uh, do you think beauty is the only thing? Or no, it says like, beauty isn't the only thing. Beauty is everything. And it, it, grammatically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a, such a completely cynical observation. Uh, and even the fact that it doesn't make sense kind of works. But yeah, I think it's a deeply cynical movie, Dingus. Like, wh- why do you ask? Uh, because uh, because of something you had said in another podcast about how uh, something appealed to you, and I and I know it's apples and oranges to talk about this because the movie you were referring to doesn't need to be cynical, and I can't remember what movie it was. I think it was La La Land. Well, yeah, Kelly Wand is oh, pointing exactly, out very good. as this is kind of the anti La La Land because again, it's about oh. it's, it's peripherally about Hollywood. I would, argue, about LA, yeah. I would actually argue that it's not about L.A. It's set in L.A. That's part of it, but I would argue that that's not really any. That's not uh, integral to what Nicholas Winding Refn is saying, uh, but you're right that it's, a, it's the anti-La La Land in terms of how it approaches uh, glamour and beauty and, and showmanship, I guess. Right. That's 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 what I was remembering. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. But isn't L.A. the city where beauty is the most prized? Oh, sure, sure. But I think this is a yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, is it? Uh, and the most and the most ephemeral. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, this, there's a line in Neon Demon where it's something like uh, you can always tell where beauty when beauty is manufactured. Um, but there's right. always there's also this Which sense is of, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and the sense that younger and younger and younger. Um, and I love that you just said it was the anti Lola. And the young girls get off the bus at LA, like they all go there. They don't go to like you know yeah, Houston. The, they're not going to Reno. No. Uh, I also love that it introduced me. I mean, I'd seen her before, but it really made me sit up and pay attention to an actress named Abby Lee, who was in Fury Road. Uh, she rode around on a giant snake in Gods of Egypt, and she played a hooker without a heart of gold in Office Christmas Party. Uh, so Neon, yeah. she's so she's so much fun to watch. Oh, her. Neon Demon ruined me for Office Party. I'm sorry. Because of Abby Lee? Well, yeah, because she just she's so creepy. All right, <laughs> <laughs> thing is, just go. I prescribe another watching of Fury Road. You'll get over that. She's so adorable in Fury Road. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. But Nia Demon, you know, I mean, she's so creepy. Right. It just yeah. ruined me. Yeah. Uh, we still don't have a movie where it's on all three of our lists, which surprises me a little bit about this next one. Uh, I put it as my number eight. Dingus chose it as his sixth favorite. So Dingus, you liked this. Better than I did. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate, but we both like this. You put it a higher on your list. So tell us about your number six movie of 2016. All right. So a quote from it would be, Blades only, sloppy is fine, try not to hit the bone. And this movie is Green Room. Mm. And you said it's your number eight, Tom? It is, yes. And it, yeah, it was very high for a while. I'm sure it was for you as well. But yeah, it's definitely on my list. Yeah, it was immediately high for me. I was crazy about this. Uh, this is one of those movies I think that um, you're like, hey, let's go see this this thing. I've already seen it. Let's go see it again. I think that might have been the, the situation where I got to see this movie. Uh, part of it is, um, I don't know, maybe there's a, a sentimental feel because I, I really fucking hate that we've lost Anton Yelchin now because I think that guy is super talented and I thought he was great in this um, and I just I like how how tight it is as, as a thriller uh, I loved absolutely loved uh, getting to watch um, 
Blue Ruin in order to get ready to watch this movie uh, because uh, the guy who directed it and wrote it is this guy named Jer- Jeremy Saulnier. Is that how you say his name, Saulnier? I don't know that you put the French twist. I think it's just Saulnier. I Saulnier? Wrong. All right. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the other one, Murder Party. I haven't seen that. I know. I think you posted something about it, Tom, so I can't talk to that movie. You do not uh, need to see it. Yeah, it was chosen for one of my Patreon uh uh, supporters, uh, I have a drawing, and he had me review it. So I watched Murder Party, and uh, it's clearly a freshman effort. <laughs> okay, uh, I am I am a huge fan of Blue Ruin, and I think Green Room is a really great follow up to it. I love the way it's structured. Um, I love the people in the movie. I think the cast is absolutely out of this world. Uh, I'm especially crazy about um, Alia Shawkat in this movie. Uh, I think she's she's amazing, and th- there's so many great surprises, and the way that uh, I, I don't know, it's just the it's just this idea of this. You, I don't know. I, I, you can't really say much. Um, what 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 turned out to be a surprise uh, is that it's a siege movie, and we were doing a three by three topic about siege movies before I saw this movie. And it's one of those things where you see the movie and you're like, gosh, darn it. Why didn't I see this before we were doing the 3x3 topic? Yeah, so all the listeners, if you ever hear a 3x3 about Siege movies, it is now officially invalidated. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Uh, it's just – it's it's so well-directed, so well-paced, um, and it has such a, a great sense. And it's going to relate to another movie that I'm going to talk about later on. Uh, because of the uh, one of the opening moments in uh, Green Room. So what do you what do you think, Tom? So one of the things that I wonder is Green Room a horror movie? Uh, and that's that's of course a uh, it's a semantic question, but I, I tend to think that horror plays on uh, anxieties. And the simple anxiety at play in Green Room is you know what if a bunch of evil fuckers were trying to kill me? Some racist. Dicks, uh, and, yeah. and I, and I get into the evil fuckers, and you're and this kind of relates to what what happened in the election a little bit. Yeah, the idea is, what if a bunch of these people wanted to kill me and I couldn't run away? Because that's that's the real terror in Green Room is that you can't run away, and because as Dingus said, it's a siege movie. And I think Green Room, as it's crafted, uh, is much more of a thriller, and it is horrific. And it's it doesn't. I love how Solnier does not shy away from really horrific things. This movie bucks the formula of what you do with sympathetic characters, with the good guys and the bad guys, and who to hate and who to root for. And it it really is subversive in some uncomfortable ways at times. Uh, mm-hmm. So so I don't know that I'd call it a horror movie. It is horrific. Uh, it's a horror movie in the loose sense of the word, but it is a perfect siege movie. And it, it, strike, it, it occurs to me that siege movies used to be about Native Americans. Like the pattern for a siege used to be uh, Indians or, or maybe uh, Mexicans at the Alamo or something. Uh, and here was a siege movie about white supremacists, about the alt-right, basically. Uh, and again, in a post-Trump election, it is amazing to me like the, the kinds of people that Trump's campaign was courting were the kinds of people who were the monsters in Green Room. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart would have been a, a, a cabinet appointee. He would have been like Secretary of Shoelace Distribution or something. Uh, the, so it, there's something when, – when Green Room came out, it was this weird – 
corner of – it's set in the Pacific Northwest, but it's basically way back in the woods where racists hide. And it was about this little dark nightmare corner of the United States, and it is now something that has bright lights shined on it and that is given a voice. Uh, and I think it makes it even more uncomfortable now and weirdly relevant, uh, and it does kind of make it in a way – a different kind of horror movie. If you think about horror tapping into anxieties, the anxiety about this sort of white supremacy, about this sort of racism, about the alt-right, is uh, now <laughs> far more material, legitimate anxiety. So I think Green Room now has a much stronger claim on being a horror movie than it did when it came out. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, we still haven't gotten to a movie yet that is on all of our lists, but we're going to go back. Oh, real quick, I wanted to say Chris Markinson really loved Green Room as well. It was his third favorite movie of the year. Oh, this is number three. All right, cool. Uh, he writes, there's a scene between Patrick Stewart and Macon Blair where Stewart finds out that uh, one of his underlings is going to run away and take a baseball bat that could have incriminated the movement with him. So Patrick Stewart grabs Macon Blair by the back of the neck and leans in and gives him a kiss on the forehead. I loved that, Chris Markinson writes. And it's also, uh, yeah, he says he writes, he also says that uh, Green Room has one of his, maybe his favorite last line in a movie. <laughs> Which... <laughs> uh, so I also really love, one of my favorite images is that dude vacuuming. I just love that dude. Uh, if you want to see Macon Blair before he's really good, check out Murder Party. <laughs> It's a little sad. It's like, oh, well, at least that guy's going to get really good in his later movies. Uh, while we're talking about Chris Markinson real quick, I want to bring up this one. So his second favorite movie of the year, it's something that we saw that uh, we had very mixed feelings about, but Markinson was uh, – he liked it enough that it was his second favorite movie of the year, uh, Embrace of the Serpent. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about it. Were you? Okay. Yeah, I like it, but I think it's too uneven. I don't know, because it's not like other movies. It's the movie Bruce got us to watch, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I wanted to see it anyway, but I think, yeah, he had definitely been pushing it. But uh, it also, you know, it had some critical acclaim. Uh, Yeah. The top ten lists are movies that are still with me at the end of the year. I think that's how you – because like you said, it's like like Green Room kept kept going down because you just see other movies in between then and making the list. And Embrace of the Serpent never – it always was on its way down the more I thought about it. Well, Kelly Wan, you, you called earlier uh, this construction of movies within a year being uh, – I think you said artificial. But I kind of disagree because there's a definite pattern with movie releases, yeah. uh, especially movies that are out there to make money. Now, movies that are released that aren't going to make a lot of money, things like Green Room and Embrace of the Serpent, those can come out at any time. So I would kind of agree with you there. But generally, studios give a lot of thought. There's a kind of an ebb and flow to quality <laughs> over the course of the year, and that is definitely a flow during December uh, as people try to get out really good movies. There's actually a couple things that I'm really bummed I didn't get to see, uh, like Silence, Patterson, uh, there's a couple other things, but uh, yeah, I'm really pissed I didn't see Patterson. Yeah, uh, so but it felt like something will just get bumped by a week and then it can't be on your list. It's like I don't get that. I don't get why we have to start the day at midnight either. That seems a little dumb. Kelly <laughs> 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 Wan doesn't like you. Don't like dates or time, obviously. Yeah. Well, I just think we should re. We need to repeal and delay it. <laughs> well. All right. So, uh, can I just say that I love, uh, I, le- I do like that Embrace of the Serpent pick 
um, mainly because Chris had also brought it up in the uh, actors who've played separate characters, and I had totally forgotten that this movie fits in that. Yeah, he really said, and he says that here, that he loved how Antonio Bolivar looks broken as old Karamakate. Uh, and I did like, yeah. uh, not necessarily the physical resemblance, but just the character arc as far as like character development. Uh, yeah. that, was, that was a great choice for the two actors playing each other. Yeah, yeah I, I really agree with that. All right, so now we're back to a movie that's only on one person's list. Uh, Dingus, Kelly Wan and I are going to close our ears while you talk about your favorite movie of 2016. What? Oh my gosh! Did you Favorite? guys even see it? I didn't. Kelly Wan. I seriously doubt Kelly Wan did. I mean, this is basically this is Dingus's uh, this is Dingus's revenge for no. This wait, this, yeah, my revenge for Dingus. You taking forever to see Night Moves, a Kelly Reichardt movie from a couple years ago that was on my list. Uh, so Dingus, I'm just getting you back for that. Dingus's favorite movie isn't on our lists. We haven't even it's, seen it. It's a movie that neither of you have seen. Yeah, I'm crazy oh. about this movie. Uh, this is a movie called Certain Women, um, and this works <laughs> very, very well. Yeah. Why Kelly Wand is la- he's laughing at you, Dingus. Ha uh-huh. <laughs> I just didn't expect to hear those words said like that right then. <laughs> well, I may not be saying it correctly because um, this also kind of works kind of for – this works – well, no, it works for – you had a three-by-three topic, Kelly, about movies that live up to their title, I think. Was that was that what it was called? Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. But yeah, that was me. And so this movie really lives up to that title. So it's certain women. It's also certain women. Um, and you can kind of look at it in uh, those ways. But I really can't talk about it because you guys haven't seen it. Uh, but I, I wrote uh, a little bit of a review about it on – the thread that on the thread I started about it, uh, and once you see it, you could you should read that. But um, you, you guys both love Kelly Reichardt, uh, and what you mainly know about her is how um, how you feel like you're in good hands when you're watching her movies. I think. I mean, Kelly, I, I think you weren't crazy about the way Meg's cutoff ended, right? Uh, it grew on me later, though. I went from not liking it at all to putting it on my top ten. So right. it, was, it had a strange journey through my heart. But you feel like you're in pretty good hands when you're watching that movie, right? Yeah, it's artful. Have you ever seen... I think about um, it a lot. I, I remember it very fondly. When I think about it, I'm always remembering Bruce Greenwood telling that guy... The guy's all, so we're going to know where we are in three days? Or are we going to find the creek in three days? He's all, well, we'll know but by then. Like... He's just really hedgy with his answers. Um, have you ever seen Wendy and Lucy by any chance? No, neither of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good title, too. I hope that was right. up to the title. I'm a huge fan of Kelly Record. Um, I And I just feel like I'm in good hands when I'm watching her movies. And so even though and – th- and this is going to be true of another movie on my list and why it's on my list – um, I don't. I I really like sitting in a movie and not knowing where I'm going, not knowing what the movie is I'm yeah. watching, yeah. not being Just like sure Peak. about it. What'd you say? Well, the, like the Bruce Greenwood character doesn't know where he's going. Yeah, well, like kind Peak. of. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, I, I just love that feeling of I, I don't know what movie I'm watching. I don't know what that is. 
Um, and one of the things that's cool about having friends like you guys and uh, is that, you, you know, I'll get a movie on my radar. It's like, just watch this. Don't pay attention to anything that's said about it. Tom does this all the time. He's like, just here, watch this movie. Don't just watch it. Trust me. And I, and I don't know what the movie is. I don't know what it's Hold about. On again. That happened with the movie, I think, Rubber. It happened with the movie Troll Hunter. Uh, like, he's just like, I just watch this. Don't just watch it. That's it. Why is this in the trash? And um, and this happened to me with certain women. It just I decided I really wanted to watch this movie, and I just got I just went crazy about it uh, because I just think that um, it strings itself together so well. It has such an understanding of uh, of uh, geography and relationship. Uh, and I guess that's really all I'm going to say about it. I, I I I can't really talk to you guys about it because you haven't seen it, you jerks. Uh, when did you? You never told me to see it. I never even heard of it before. I don't want to talk about it a lot. We did. You did to me. Or just I tried to get the two of you to see it, but you know. I never remember. I you've never said it, see certain women, and I wouldn't. I would have misunderstood you anyway if you had. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you can have a conversation with Chris Markinson because it was his eighth favorite movie of the year. And unfortunately, I'm not going to read anything he said because I haven't seen it, don't know anything about it, and I want to go into it blind. Uh, because I I completely trust Kelly Reichardt, so yeah, thank you. Finally, let's talk about a movie that was on all three of our lists. The first one. Oh, here we are. The first one. It's my tenth favorite movie, 2016. It barely stayed on the list, but I'm glad it held on tight at the very end. It's like when you're flapping a rug. It had a nice, solid grip on the end of the rug. Didn't fly off. <laughs> Euphemisms. It's Dingus's number eight movie of 2016, but Kelly put it highest on the list. Kelly, what is the number five movie of 2016, according to you? The Lobster. <laughs> well, why are you saying – was that your – that Irish? Was that Australian? Yeah, isn't how Colin Farrell talks? Isn't he Irish or something? <laughs> why was that your fifth favorite movie of the year? I love that. I love it because it's – it gives me something to watch before the next Charlie Kaufman movie. Like it's a very, it's just a bitter, bleak, surreal. It's one of my favorite non-George Miller dystopias. It's the perfect date movie, I think. Uh, not that I saw it on a date, but I think I just prefer to live in a world where the lobster is pretty woman. Like that, it's like oh, the lobster's out. Let's go. Uh, you, you said that it, uh, it ties you over to another Charlie Kaufman movie. For me, it ties me over to another Quentin Dupieux movie. Uh, it, it has a lot of the appeal of rubber uh, in that I don't normally like absurdism. Like That normally doesn't work for me. It's case by case. It's case by case, but uh, The Lobster does such a great job relating it to real-world ideas of, yeah. about being in love, about relationships. Um, and the, the sense of humor this movie has is – it is so deadpan but hilarious. Like I, I, I this, if this is a movie where you can test someone's sense of humor, people are either going to love the humor in this, or it's going to go completely over their heads, and they're not going to understand why it's funny. We have friends who will every now and every now and then say, "Hey, watch this funny video. It's hilarious." And then we watch it, and I'm sitting there stone-faced for three minutes waiting for something funny to happen. Something funny never happens, and I come to the painful realization that, oh, me and my friend have completely different senses of humor. <laughs> the lobster is like that. It is a litmus test for a specific sense of humor, yeah. and if you don't have it, you're going to watch the lobster and go, huh? And as a matter of fact, a very good friend of mine and my wife went to see this, and they left partway through because of a scene where um, – 
I'll be fit. Because of the scene where a terrible thing happens to an animal. And they were like, Ew, we don't like this. We're leaving. And this is in a movie that it, that it opened with a different terrible thing happening to a different animal. <laughs> like, so <Yeah. laughs> and, and, they, and the thing is you have to realize this is a joke. This is played for humor. It's funny. And if you don't find that funny, if that doesn't appeal to you with this really dark black sense of humor, the lobster will make no sense. Uh, so I love what a unique language it has. Well, and it's a character beat, too, and there is, I don't know, like that's a, it's a significant plot point in the movie. It's not. Well, to be fair, though, people have, it depends on how, how and whether you're wrapped up in the movie. People have very specific reactions to things happening to animals, right? Like when we saw Desierto, I don't think any of us liked Desierto, but we were all legitimately horrified by what Desierto does to the poor dog. Uh, And, I, you know, imagine if the movie hadn't been working for you and you thought, you know, there's other things I could be doing. And you're watching a crappy movie like Desierto, and then it comes to that, and you're like, you know what, it's a movie. I'm out of here. Uh, right. So I'd imagine that's what was going on with the lobster for, for my friend and his wife. But, Being his wife yeah, also, it doesn't take a position either. Like, it's, you go, oh, it's just about real relationships being good, and if you're not in one. But then the, res- not- the resistance is its own... I'm not sure I agree with that, Kelly Wand. I mean, it has a weird ending, uh, but I think it's an ambiguous ending. But I think it's it's it is a posi- it is the movie's position is the ambiguity of that ending. Uh, but you know what? Listen to our lobster podcast. Thing is, why don't you explain why it is your eighth favorite movie? <laughs> um, it, it, it's a little bit related to what I was talking about uh, a minute ago that sense of i don't know what movie i'm watching right now um and it kind of relates a little bit to what kelly wand was saying in choosing swiss army man which is a movie i also really really liked and really got um i really got that whole sense of weird uh, magical realism is how i put it at that time but i think surrealism applies much better here um and it it I don't know. Sometimes when you're watching a movie and it's unfolding and you're like, what in the world am I watching? What is going on here? And by the way, the um, the poster for this movie is absolutely perfect for this movie. I, I absolutely love the poster, the, 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 the promotional poster that they would put up in a the theater. Uh, the one sheet is really great. It really has a, a sense of what this movie is about. Um, I love Colin Farrell. I, I think he's excellent, and I love that he's taking risks like this kind of movie. Um, I love that defining characteristic stuff. I love the toaster. I mean, mainly it's just because uh, it's a movie that doesn't um, disappoint in that whole feeling of what what in the world am I sitting through? Where are we going? Oh, oh, that's where we're going. Uh, but it's not going to spoon feed me. Um, it, it just scratches that kind of itch. I mean, it's kind of like, I, I don't know if I said this in the podcast, but it, it kind of made me feel like never let me go, but in, in a different, uh, in a different, in a different way in that sort of, we're going to do a dystopia, but we're not going to make it sort of weird. It's like a deranged weird. play. But yeah, really well put. Yeah. It's like a Durang play. Yeah. Re- really well put. Uh, let's now get to – this is actually Chris Markinson's favorite movie of 2016. You guys both have it on your list. Uh, it is – Dingus is your seventh favorite. Kelly Wand, it shot up to number three for you. Uh, so this is Markinson's uh, favorite movie, uh, and I just want to 
read a little bit of what he said about it. He says there's a scene where – this might give away what the movie is. There's a scene where Lady Hideko is going to hang herself, and just in the nick of time, Suki catches her. They talk, and both women reveal they were going to trick each other. When Suki finds out, it takes a moment for her to unpack the information. Then she lets go of Lady Hideko, who starts to hang, while Suki screams, that fucking son of a bitch. Chris Markinson says, I think that might be my favorite scene this year. <laughs> and so, what number is it on Kelly's list? So, uh, the, the Handmaiden is Kelly Wan's third favorite movie of the year. Dingus, it's your seventh favorite, but Chris Markinson, it was his favorite overall. So, all right, Kelly, why did The Handmaiden... Uh, Wait, where was so- it on yours? Or was it on yours? Uh, right. it, it's 11 or higher. <laughs> really? Ah, <laughs> oh, impressive. I love this movie. I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought it was super funny. I thought it was really twisty. Uh, it's like Merchant Ivory Asian porn meets Memento. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, you, even, you even compared it to David Lean at the time, didn't you? Yeah, I might have been a little baked when I said that. But I'll stand by it. Um, so yeah, Mark- it's great. Says, I- Marcus says along the lines of Dingus not knowing what's going to happen in a movie. Uh, Marcus says, I didn't realize that two very attractive Asian women would be naked and having a fairly graphic sex scene. I watched that scene a few times to make sure it wasn't vulgar. Oh, see? <laughs> He's taking one for the team. Yeah, well done, Chris. Thank you so much for helping us with that. At least one. Um but yeah, it's uh, I'm excited because I have the book. Uh, someone gave it to me for Christmas called Fingersmith, and it, but it's like Victorian England setting. So yeah, like, it's, it's how that hanging scene plays out with white people. Like I don't like because they have petticoats on, and if she's running, I don't know. It'll I'll let you know how that it goes. But uh, it's great now. This and it totally passes the Bechtel test, just like uh, Swiss Army Man. <laughs> I thought uh, it's. I never got. I liked every part of the Handmaiden. No pun intended. Like, oh, like none. Even, every character was good. I liked the main. I liked the main guy. I liked the cig, the cigar smoker. It it just never let up. It was one. Of, it was one of my great viewing experiences of 2016. Uh, well, Dingus, you, it's on your list as well. Uh, I was really reluctant to like this movie. <laughs> Why? This is one of those things that um, I think you guys talked about this kind of thing early, uh, where I watched it the first time and I just I didn't get it and was kind of turned off by it. It's super long. Uh, I don't get the uh, I didn't get the editing at first. Um, uh, uh, one of our uh, listeners and somebody who posts on the forums uh, named Soren Hoglund had seen it at this. Uh, film festival he went to and he was like yeah that's probably not a movie for you I guess don't worry about it but I really liked it uh, and then I went and watched it again and I realized what kind of movie it was and what it was trying to do uh, and it inspired a 3 by 3 topic of mine uh, because of what the movie does um, and I just I agree with the things that Kelly Wan is saying about the way it's shot the way it's edited is exquisite I think um, it reminds me so much of a Coen Brothers movie and the early shooting of a Coen Brothers movie uh, when Barry Sonnenfeld was shooting them in some of those ways I feel like it's commenting on that and the way the music is there's some Carter Burwell touches in it. I think the acting is just incredible. Um, and I just, I'm so surprised that it ended up on my list because it's a movie when I first saw it, I was like, 
I don't understand the tone of this movie. I don't get it. I don't get what the tone is. And finally, I got the tone. Um, but it took seeing it more than once. Uh, it, it's just a movie, I think, that bears repeated viewings. And it's just, it's, it's got this, I don't know, this, uh, this watch mechanism kind of construction to it that I really, really like and really, really groove on. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Park Chan Wook is not really a director I know that much about other than, you know, old boy. Um, but I really, thirst. yeah, I, I saw thirst. Um, and thirst was fine for me, but it, it wasn't like, like this. Great. And I, I haven't seen any of the lady vengeance movies or whatever those yeah. are. Um, Old Boy is one of them, so you actually have. <laughs> uh, no, really? then I have seen that oh, one. I'm but there's a trilogy. There a trilogy. Is, yeah, there is. And Old Boy is, is one of the trilogy. Yeah. Oh, it is? Okay, uh, sorry. I thought it was Sympathy person? for Lady Vengeance, uh, something for Lady Vengeance, and something else. No, they're not all. Uh, Old Boy, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, and a third one that escapes me right now. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm pretty uh, sure. Now I'm wondering if I'm wrong. But yeah, uh, I think, so at any rate, if you basically Old Boy, if it's not part of the trilogy, You've seen the kind of stuff he does in the trilogy with Old Boy, right? Yeah. Um, and I like Old Boy a lot, but you know, it's not necessarily and my taste. Uh, this, I really, I really, I like what he's doing in this movie, and 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 how the movie develops, and how and all the layers. Oh man, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a heartless romance. I think I have a soft spot for that genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's now get to. Kelly Wan's fourth favorite movie, Dingus's fifth favorite movie, and I might be in a little bit of trouble here. So go ahead. Uh, Dingus, why don't you start off talking about your fifth favorite movie of 2016? Well, wait. It's his fourth, though. Yeah, but you, he started the last one. You, you guys are close enough. Four and five are close enough. So, Dingus, why is this your fifth favorite movie of 2016? And what right, is well, uh, The quote I would uh, pull from it would be, you can't sit with your back to the door. Uh, so this movie is the movie Moonlight. Um, and I'm nuts about this movie because I just think it's a gorgeous, uh, a gorgeous way of doing the movie, um, boyhood without being didactic, maybe. Uh, and I love all three actors who are playing the part. And, um, it's just hugely meaningful to me. Especially because of that that particular quote, you can't sit with your back to the door, uh, is you know about teaching a kid, a father teaching a kid, like these are some life lessons, and then him not being able to have those life lessons and where he goes from there. Um, I think it's beautifully shot. Love the music in it. Uh, I don't know. You can listen to the podcast to hear me wax on more about it. Kellyanne, what makes this your fourth favorite movie, 2016? Uh, for the same reason I like Hardcore Henry, because it's about uh, <laughs> a guy just trying to move around. Like Moonlight is telling a story, like almost <laughs> entirely through like facial expressions. And so, yeah, wait, very good. Where's, where's the bit about a guy just trying to move around? Well, no, I'm just saying if you tell it, you're telling a story a cert, like by using just one device. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> like, Mark Henry is not really dialogue based. It's like, it's him walking and running around and trying to get into rooms and stuff and jumping. And Moonlight's about just how people are looking at each other. <laughs> and it's a really, 
I don't know. It's a very interesting. It's it's a great movie about the passage of time and how that affects us and doesn't affect us and the way we change and the way we don't. Um, it's a movie I think homophobes should watch because it's. I think they would. It's the last one they'd want to see, but it's it's just it's like what you said last on the podcast. Like the differences are basically in your head, um, and it's just great performances. Like the best acting I saw this year, I think, was in the middle of it. Thing is, remember uh, starting the Moonlight podcast. I'm sure you and I had that feeling of dread about, oh my God, what kind of synopsis is Kelly Wand going to do? Right. And Kelly Wand, you knocked it out of the park. I, I still don't know how you did it, but uh, you I don't managed. think I did. That's kind of you to say. I, I, I don't remember. I, just because I was dreading, I was like, oh my God, what is this poor guy going to do to make us laugh at a, a, a recount of what happens in this movie? How is he going to make fun of it? Uh, and it, it, it's just a great example of you doing a synopsis for an unsynopsisable movie. That's right. I use that word. <laughs> so you said you were going to get in trouble, Tom. What do you mean? All right. Let's now talk about Kelly Wan's sixth favorite movie of the year and my second favorite movie of 2016. There's only one movie I liked better than this. Uh, Jeff Nichols did a movie called Loving. That, in a weird way, does for me the same thing that Moonlight did for me. Uh, and they're both very uh, capital I important stories about people being in love and how different kinds of people fall in love with each other. And it's ridiculous to be judgmental of them. Both movies are portrayals of that love in a language anybody can understand, a very sensitive language. Uh, so I really wanted to put Moonlight on my list because, God, I love that movie as well. But what I did is instead I chose Loving, A, because I knew you guys were going to pick Moonlight, but B, because I kind of feel like Loving filled for me. Loving did for me the same thing that Moonlight did, but I liked how Loving did it different. And I liked the scale of Loving's storytelling. Uh, so, so Loving is, like Moonlight, about just two people in love. And so what if they're interracial, just like in Moonlight, so what if they're two dudes? Uh, but more importantly, and, and the portrayal of the, the, the actors, you know, Dingus, you mentioned the actors in this. Uh, Joel Edgerton and Ruth Negga in Loving are just staggeringly good to me. I mean, I've liked Ruth Negga for a long time, and she just knocked my socks off in this. And I will never look at Joel Edgerton the same. I mean, the guy just completely... Uh, changed my perception of him with how good he was in this movie. But the reason that I would pick Loving over Moonlight, uh, for me personally, on my list, is because Loving is ultimately, in addition to a movie about two people in love with each other, it's an important movie about how this country can fix itself when it's broken, but it isn't the least bit preachy about it. You know, Jeff Nichols is not up on a soapbox. All he needs to do to tell us this story is to get us into the lives of these two people who are in love with each other. Uh, and I love how it is also a commentary without being uh, – Dingus, you used this word before, so I can use it – how it's a commentary on that without being didactic. Uh, so I basically left Moonlight off my list. I knew you guys would pick it, and I uh, decided that I could wuss out by just talking about how much I liked Loving instead. Uh, my favorite moment in Loving – I know it's not on my list, but uh, my favorite – I think my favorite moment is when he says, "You can tell the judge, or you know, what are you, gonna, you can tell the judge, you can tell the judge, I love my life, my wife." Yeah, yeah. There's a, it's, it's sort of the sum of the movie in a way. Yeah, Kelly, Wand, why is it your sixth favorite movie of 2016? Kelly, Wand seems to have left us. All right, let me stop the recording. Because it doesn't show him as hanging up though. 
Well, don't. Maybe he's just peeing. Did you hang up on him already? No, no, no. He's not disconnected. He's there. Hi. Where'd you go? I don't know. My microphone did something. Right. You're you're still with us, right? Yeah, yeah. We can continue if you wish. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll just, I'll yeah, just. It looks splice. like I've still got a thing Sorry going about on. that. I'll just splice that part out. Let's see. I think both things are going. So, all right. So, Kelly, uh, uh, just take it from me asking you why it's your sixth favorite movie of the year. Give me, uh, give me uh, a, count, give me a countdown from five, and then go into it. Oh, a vocal count. Well, you know what? Uh, yeah, just a, uh, do a vocal, do a vocal countdown. Oh, vocal countdown? Not yeah, but, but don't don't say the two and the one. Just do the one. Oh, like in Wayne's right. World? Exactly. All right. Five. Wait, five. Five. Four. Three. Uh, hey, Tom, if, you, if we hadn't picked Moonlight, you would have been screwed, though, huh? Uh, I would have still talked about it during my uh, discussion of loving. <laughs> Yeah, I had, I had my bases. I had my bases covered, Kelly Wand. I mean, I thought the same thing you did. They're pretty similar movies, but it seemed like if I took one off, I'd feel bad for it because I like them both, and they're both sort of—they're not entirely the same. I think I like movies about quiet people, and I consider that like impressive acting when someone's able to like play someone who's kind of bottled up, yeah. or in Joel Edgerton's case, really shy by nature. Um, but you actually made me like loving more because you pointed out like one of the weird things about it is the Nick Kroll performance because you can't uh-huh. quite tell if it's supposed to be funny or not. And I thought, well, that's kind of an issue with the movie because it feels out of place. But then you made that point where it's like that's how he – going to the city and talking to this guy would feel to those characters. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a good point. Yeah. It's, it's like they're true. from a completely different world and they have a completely different way of interacting with people. Yeah. 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 And he's our link to, like, the normal movie that it would usually be about, which is, like, the case <laughs> and the process and his speech at the Supreme Court. And it's, but it's not about his character. It's about the, the people. and yeah. the, It's about human beings. So I really like that. Uh, I should point out, by the way, Markinson didn't put Loving on his list, but he did put Moonlight at number four. So uh, he maybe he, he was thinking what you did though. And just right, exactly. Out. He's like, okay, Loving is great, but I'll let them talk about it. I'm going to take the slot on my list for Moonlight. Uh, yeah. All right, let's now get to another movie that only two of us have on the list. Kelly, why isn't Manchester by the Sea on your list? What happened? Eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's eh. fine. Suddenly, Kelly Wand is all, eh, it's fine. Dingus' second favorite movie of the year, my third favorite. I mean, it's so staggeringly good, and Kelly Wand is all, eh, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. It's no hardcore Henry. <laughs> That's exactly true. I couldn't have Moonlight loving and Manchester by the Sea. That's just repeating myself. So one of them had to go. I took the one with all white people out. All right, so uh, Dingus, as your second favorite, what made Manchester by the Sea work so well for you? And maybe give us a line from it. Can I guess guess your line? I mean, I don't want to scoop you, but can I guess what I think you would pick as a line, or would you rather... It smells like it's burning. No, go ahead. Guess. That's great. Uh, Is it four words, starting with I and ending with it? No, go ahead. uh, uh, You know, just uh, the line, I can't beat it. I mean, it's such such simple words, and it's an example of how uh, Kenneth Lonergan just instills 
mundane things with so much raw emotional power. So there's a, there's a point in the movie where someone just says, I can't beat it, which whatever. Uh, but the, the way it exists in the movie is just so powerful. I was guessing that might be your line, but give us a different line from Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I think my favorite line, having watched it a couple of times, is I can't let you freak out with the door closed. Um, <laughs> I, I just love what that says about what he's trying to do, about their relationship, about his struggle um, to try to be a parent when he can't be and how his life has been interrupted and, and now is being kind of resumed in this very unnatural way that he's not prepared for. And I just think that, um, you know, I've got two Casey Affleck movies on my list and that guy. Damn it, that guy. Um, you know, I was talking to you about this uh, the other day, Tom, because I had listened to another critic talk about this movie, and I had talked about this when we did the podcast. Uh, I just think that guy, Casey Affleck, um, you know, when I when I first saw him being, you know, the younger brother of uh, Ben Affleck in uh, – uh, Goodwill Hunting, he just looked like, oh, he's just going to be that goofy little guy all the time. Uh, and then he shows up in Assassination of Jesse James, and then he just keeps doing good stuff, and he keeps doing good stuff. And in this movie, he feels like Marlon Brando to me. He feels like that guy who's just an unstoppable, real, um, just force of nature kind of kind of a performance and he just keeps doing that um i'm just nuts about him you know i and I, he does this goofy thing on saturday night live where he's at a donut shop you know he's doing a, a he interrupts a commercial for dunkin donuts and he's basically kind of doing his character here from here but as a goofball and he can still do that kind of goofball stuff uh he doesn't he's i mean i don't think that he has a limit uh, and watching him in this movie, um, everybody in this movie, I think, is is, is excellent. Uh, but Casey Affleck is a revelation in this movie. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had to wait a while to, to get to this. We talked a little bit about that. Oh, you know, why? You know, because Margaret was such a weird, uh, I don't know if you would call it a boondoggle, but it was bandied about and messed around so much because of the, the studio. Um but uh, but with as with a few directors, I'll I'll wait. I I just hope you do more stuff like this because, oh my gosh, <laughs> this movie just it knocks me out. The relationships in it, the way it flows, um, and it kind of is a great juxtaposition for me uh, to the movie that I put as my number one, Certain Women, uh, mainly because of the way. Um, Two key scenes, and I'll talk to you guys about it when you finally see certain women uh, can be uh, cast against each other. Is these the two scenes that are uh, juxtaposed for me in uh, in this movie and my number one movie, Certain Women? And I can't talk about that, as I said, because you two jerks won't see certain women because you just don't like me. I guess that's what you get. For, yeah, well, you deserve it for taking so long to see night moves. So actually, you're right. You're right about that. I, I do cop to that. I will. Uh, but, I'll tell you this thing: is I will see certain women in a shorter time span than it took you to see night moves. How about that? I think you're probably right about that. And skirt. 
Um, but but there's two scenes in particular that are really well. It, it's really great to look at those two scenes in opposition to each other, and also really great to look at the way these two movies use music. Um, those two elements uh, made deciding which was going to be the number one movie on my list and which was going to be the number two movie on my list really really difficult for me because uh, because those elements. Um, I, I don't know. They're just they they uh, I, I dro- drove me nuts. Is has a pejorative connotation, uh, connotation, and that's not what I mean. Um, but they were really really exciting to me. Um, it's exciting to me to see the way that that Kenneth uh, Kenneth Lonergan and Kelly Reichert uh, work with their actors, do their editing choose their music and just work within scenes. It's fascinating to see the differences between those two because I respect them both so much. And it's so exciting to have such two great works back to back and get to see them. Literally, I got to see them within a week of each other. And that's so exciting to me. So, uh, you know, and Manchester just starts off. So it's so great. It's so weird to see that start where he's on the boat with a kid and messing around with him. And you're like, what's going on there? And then as you see the movie develop, you understand. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I also go ahead, Kelly Wand. Well, just I think one reason it's not on my list is the title's kind of similar to Light Between the Oceans. And so I kind of lump them together in my head. Uh, I wondered, like, why? Is, I wondered. I did wonder why is it called Manchester by the Sea? Do you think? Is that that's the name of the fact? town? Yeah, I know. But why would he? Why would Kenneth Lonergan write this amazing script oh. about these things happening and then give What's it the, the, the and then name it after the town? Yeah, I mean, why? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, my my theory actually is uh, he wants to make it clear that it's not about the Manchester in England, which is like an industrial wasteland, I think. He wants oh. to make it clear, this, is, this, this isn't the English Manchester. I mean, I, I don't know. But England's surrounded by sea. Isn't it even more confusing? Shouldn't be Actually, Manchester is Man- by sea? Yeah, is Manchester a port city? I just assumed it was some inland place where they got a bunch of coal. What's the uh, sea? There's no sea there. What's the sea next to Manchester? The, the Atlantic Ocean, you mean? That's called a sea in Manchester? Oceans are seas, Kelly Wand, aren't they? It is. <laughs> There's seven seas with five oceans. Oh, shoot. He's got me there, Dingus. Yeah, that's Dingus. a good point. I think I, the, sea, the sea is Beaumont. <laughs> the circumference is Beaumont. Shut up, Kelly. We're talking about water, please. God. Well, let's now talk, let's talk about a movie that is on the second movie, only the second one that's on all three of our lists. The first one that was on all three of our lists was The Lobster. The second one on all three of our lists also begins with the word the. Uh, oh. Let's see. My fifth favorite, Dingus's fourth favorite. There's only one movie Kelly Wand liked better this year than The Witch. Ah, The Witch. Yeah, with that Kelly. movie, Kelly Wand. That's what I. It's the movie I wish the Blair Witch uh, sequel had been. Like they should have done a prequel, a Prometheus version of the Wit of uh, Blair Witch, where it takes place in the 1600s. But yeah, it's great. It's like my favorite. The Witch is my favorite period piece horror movie. Unless House of the Devil counts. Uh, that's what, what number is it for you, Tom? Uh, it's my fifth favorite. There are four movies I liked better than The Witch this year. All right. 
but it's it's uh, again it's a unique perspective on horror. Uh, I love that it's theological horror. I mean, it's also about this evil, creepy witch that may or may not be doing terrible things, but it's told from the perspective of a family that believes very, very different kinds of things than the people watching the movie. And part mm. of the brilliance of the movie is it does help us – You know, we understand their fear. We understand why this is scary. We sympathize with them, even though they're very, very different kinds of people. Uh, Meryl Streep had at the Golden Globes a, a – when she accepted – I think it was just like – I don't know if it was for a specific movie or a Lifetime Achievement Award. She made some comment about how the, the, the work of actors is – and I'm going to butcher what she said. But she said something along the lines of the work of actors is to help us – is to show people people who are different from them. I'm screwing it up. But at any rate, the, the witch makes me think of that. We don't understand folks – we don't readily understand folks in that situation who were puritanical Christians who were escaping the structure of the English church. Uh, to make a movie about them, that's commercial suicide, right? But this was A24's most successful movie this year um, because I think it was such an effective horror movie. Um, and also, Kelly One Kids didn't ruin it. What do you think of that? You have a movie with kids. That's amazing. Yeah, doing monologues. They're doing monologues. Oh man, Harvey Scrimshaw, I think is the be- the kid who does who's the the son. Uh, the best about. the best child performance I've seen in a while. I can't. Th- I mean, what else has been good? But yeah, that that kid was amazing. And I love the ending. I love where it goes. I love the omissions of information mm-hmm. throughout. Um, I think it's just uh, it's got Sarah Stevens in it. <laughs> <laughs> who's that, Kelly Wand? <laughs> She's a model, Australian model. Did she have a big? Did she have a big? A big part in the witch. She has big everything that's good. She's not in the witch too much. If you see it just for her, you probably will be disappointed. I'm curious, actually, how many people saw this movie expecting it to be more like Blair Witch and came away just baffled. Because I would have expected quite a bit of that, but it, um, I don't know. Maybe just people really like witches. We often think that horror – we often will see a horror movie we like, Kelly Wan, and say, oh, it's not for Dingus. Because Dingus, he's kind of a horror lightweight, I would say. So, Dingus, how on <laughs> earth could this make your list? It's... <laughs> uh, I, just, I just love this movie. I, you know, the quote I would uh, put from it is, thou shall be home by candle time tomorrow. I like a movie that introduces me to a new world um, that I'm not sure where, what that world is and introduces me to new language involved in that world and keeps me guessing as to what's going on, but not in a way that makes me feel like I'm being jerked around. Um, and I think that uh, and, uh, is it Anna or Anya? Anya Taylor-Joy um, is amazing in it. I think everybody's amazing in it. I love seeing Kate yeah. Dickey in anything. Um, and uh, Ralph Innocent, um, it, from the moment he starts speaking, I'm like, yeah, I'm, in, I'm into this. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's creepy. It lures me in. It's beautifully filmed. Uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah. It taps into our universal fear of goats. Too. <laughs> goats really are creepy. Black Phillip yeah. especially. Yeah, I have yeah. never trusted. I've never trusted goats, and now I don't trust rabbits either. From what? Oh, this right. From the witch. I think Night of the Lepus. <laughs> Night of the Lepus does really tap into the universal anxiety about rabbits. Yeah. See, that can't be on my list because it came out a different year. Good point. Weird. Exactly. It's an arbitrary rule. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we also all three have on our list this movie. Dingus is only his third favorite. He wasn't that into it. Kelly Wan, you and I have the same number one movie of 2016. Yay! 
And not only that, it's like a super happy, non-cynical. This isn't the kind of movie you would pick as your favorite, Kelly Wand. I can't believe it. I can't believe this is my number one. But I thought it's like when I looked at all the other ones, I go, I don't know. It's the experience that stayed with me the most profoundly ever since I saw it of 2016. Maybe you should tell folks what it is. La 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 land. I hate musicals. I didn't want to see this fucking thing. I feel the same way about musicals that Emma Stone's character in the movie feels towards jazz. <laughs> and the movie the gosling that tricks me into liking it. It's just so ambitious and sure footed and uh it's not a it's not quite even a musical. Like there's not a lot of story points that are where the songs tell the story. The songs are kind of just there as window dressing. Um, but I know I really like these characters. I really liked it's, it, the way it was shot, and uh, I think uh, with Blash guys, a huge talent. So, uh, the Golden Globes certainly agree, and I'm guessing the Academy Awards will as well. It got every award at the Golden Globes. It, it uh, won a oh, what? record-breaking number of awards. Yeah, I think – I forgot what the last movie was. But it got something like all eight of the things it was nominated for, and there's only one other movie that had done that. And So, yeah, it cleaned up the Golden Globes. Not that surprising. This is, in a way, Oscar bait. Um, so I, it's, Kelly, Wand, you said the more you thought about it, the more it came down that this is your favorite movie. I, you know, ten minutes into this, I was just so blown away by this movie that there, it, it wasn't even fair because I don't even think of La La Land as a movie. It does something to me that no movie does to me. I don't. It, it, it's it's not like watching. Uh, it's not like watching a movie. It's it's uh, it, it's it's almost like a drug. I could see it over and over and over again, and I have, uh, and. I just don't have any way to categorize it. It doesn't fit alongside any other movie-going experience for me. And the mm. only thing I can compare it to is back when I was a lot younger and I discovered opera and how much that blew me away. And this is an opera, and I don't think I would feel this way about other musicals necessarily, uh, but there's just so much that La La Land gets right, that I resonate with, that I appreciate. Uh, and I just, you know, you say out-of-body experience, Kelly Wand, and yeah, I'll go with that. It it does take me out of myself. Uh so it was no contest for me. There was no question ever. The moment I got out of this thing, I was like, well, that was my favorite movie of 2016. Yeah. Sorry, everybody else. Uh, and so the Dink- criticism – oh, okay, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, Dingus, you said it was your third favorite. Uh, why did you like this better than seven other movies? <laughs> um, what's weird? That you didn't like it uh, more than nine other movies. That's really weird. I liked it more than probably 350 other movies. Oh, that's true. Okay, so nine's in there. Just uh, this, in there. This movie, uh, as I said when we talked about it on the podcast, uh, made me cry with joy more than any other movie that I can think of in recent memory. Um, when, I, I, when we did our over-under, I put it just barely under one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, a movie that... Um, I will watch again and again when I feel blue, and I've said this many times, that's Singing in the Rain. Uh, and I totally get what Tom is talking about, because when we were watching this movie, there were moments when I was watching it where I could not restrain myself for, from doing like little weird clapping or uh, saying something out loud or just laughing or crying. Um, two of my favorite absolute favorite moments of the year when these are would be my best miscellaneous thingy moments are from this movie uh it's uh again 
when I was looking at certain women, Manchester by the sea and La La Land, it was really difficult to decide uh, which would be my favorite movie of the year. La La Land was close there for a while. Um, it was just, it was overall an amazing experience to watch. And I, and I'm so glad that I got to see it in the movie theater uh, because yeah. I will watch it again and again um, at, in my home. I will happily watch this again and again in my home. But this movie deserves to be seen in a movie theater because it is a movie going experience. And um, I am more of a fan of musicals than I think the two of you are. But it reminds me of so many different things, and it it it's oh, it, it's transcendent. It's transcendent watching what they're doing and watching what uh, is it Damien Chazelle um, has done in transforming musical for right now, um, and in making a beautiful love letter. And what I said when we did the podcast was. Uh, basically making a Manhattan for Los Angeles. Um, I don't know. It just drives me nuts. I, I love this movie. I love, I absolutely love this movie. And I'm, I'm really glad. I'm not surprised it's Tom's number one movie. Not at all surprised, uh, based on how he talked about it. Um, but I am surprised it's yours, Kelly. Yeah, I am too. Cause I really didn't go into it thinking that. But, and I, and a criticism I hear leveled against it. And it took me a little while to figure out why it didn't bother me. It was like, well, they're not dancers. They're not like Gene Kelly good, and they're not singers. Like that's, But the characters aren't. So I think I give it a pass on that level. Like they're just reacting to the city the way they would. And he's playing piano, and he's good. And it's the material. I don't know. It, like everything worked for me. There was no dead air, I didn't think. Like the John Legend stuff's interesting. And it's not. It goes in a direction I wouldn't have expected the movie to go. Like it really is about the creative process a lot more than I would have expected from the previews. And it's just a very, I don't know. It had a good tang. It's, it's also a movie, and and there are certain movies that I can, when I close my eyes and get ready to go to bed, I can push play, and I can see scenes from this movie. I can just see, and I've only seen it once. I can just push play and. And see that scene after the party. I can see that going on. I can see it. I really, I love how it flows. And maybe that's part of the musicality of it and the way music works, works with your memory. But I can push play on this movie in my brain and see it. And that's really special to me. It's, it's a hugely special to me in a movie. It's a little embarrassing to like a movie so much that's getting all this like critical... Conventional yeah. critical acclaim. I feel like I should. And it's a poster, and I look at the poster. I'm like, that's my favorite movie. Yeah, especially yeah. And my kid, my son, he's 12. He's and I told him, yeah, I went to see uh, La La Land. I was thinking about taking to it, but I said not to. He's like, thank goodness, I will never see that movie. <laughs> Why not? He's like, because two people are dancing on the poster. Come on. Ah, uh, he'll see. You know, he would rather see you know Captain America: Civil War again. He's not going to want to see this kind of movie. That should have been my number 10, probably. That was on my list for a minute or two. Yeah, it was hovering around mine. Like, yeah, the third X not that good. <laughs> uh, real quick, I want to go over uh, the final on the some of the things on Chris Markinson's list that didn't work as well for us to make our top 10. He also, by the way, really liked The Witch. It was his fifth favorite. Uh, number 10 for Chris Markinson's list was Nocturnal Animals. Uh, which I had one of my... Yeah. The more distance I get from that, the more I do like it. I'm still not convinced. Uh, well, I 
I, I think it's a the more you the farther you get from actually watching it, the, the better the more, it is. The, yeah, the more you think about it instead of watch it, I think the better it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, however, am astonished that that doofus Aaron Taylor Johnson is being called out for supporting actor in this thing because I don't think he did anything that any actor could. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's just a conventional. He's a bad guy. Big deal. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. He plays a redneck. People in that movie Blue Jay that I watched, they did the same thing Aaron Taylor does, Aaron Taylor Johnson, especially considering Michael freaking Shannon in this. Good God, he's just so riveting. And no, he doesn't get nominated for supporting actor. Aaron Taylor freaking Johnson from uh, – I don't even know what he's – oh, from Kick-Ass. Yep. Yeah. Good. And, and, uh, isn't he Quicksilver? Mm. Uh, that's another guy. I don't think. He oh, all right. I was going to say that Oliver Stone movie we did a thing on. Exactly. Savage. Well, Savages. He's in that as well. Oh, good lord! I thought he was the alternate Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. Oh, Dingus! I, I think Dingus the guy. Kelly Wand. That's why. That's a little of an impression he made on me. I thought he had an accent or something. No, because remember him running around with uh, uh, Scarlet Witch's name. Uh, what's the actress's name from Silent House? Help me out Elizabeth here, Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Mar- Olsen, right? Martha right. Macy, me, 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 me. Exactly. The Alec Baldwin of the Olsons. Is that the same dude? I think you're right, Dingus. Yeah, I think you're definitely I think right. Yes. Uh, Chris's number nine pick, and Dingus, I just want to make sure you know this. Chris's ninth favorite movie of 2016 was Deadpool. I was pondering it, then I, I didn't like the third act of that either. I didn't like that it ends in a junkyard, or I would have racked it up a little higher. I think it jumps the shark. But I still like it. I'm pro Deadpool, but a rump. Uh, well, uh, Markinson says during the podcasting, it's mentioned how right from the start when they have the slow mo scene with the credits. Which are all that's good. Being goofy. Chris Markinson said he points out that Dingus mentioned the podcast that Dingus was put off by it. Markinson said I was just the opposite. That pulled me in and didn't let go until the end. So God's Deadpool, a perfect idiot. Uh, Deadpool sense of humor definitely worked for uh, for yeah. Markinson. Uh, all right, so lo- let's now talk about our the most surprising movies we saw this year. Kelly Wan, when you sent me your list, you listed these things. I didn't look at them, so uh, it's going to be a surprise for me when you now tell me what was your most surprising movie of 2016. My most surprising movie of 2016 was the motion picture Star Trek Beyond because I went into that movie not give. I don't, I don't like Star Trek really at all. I, I like the new cast, but I'm not a Trekkie, and I went into that movie expecting nothing, and it was by, I thought it was by far the best of the new Star Trek movies of the the Abrams ones. As a guy who's similarly skeptical about all Star Trek, Kelly Wand, this is the only Star Trek movie I have watched where I've thought, you know, I totally understand Dingus standing up and going, nice, because that's, yeah. how, I, that's how I felt during that bit with, uh, with the Beastie Boys and the, with, that, with that sabotage bit. And uh, yeah. good Lord, that, that just all these things came together at that perfect moment for me. And if I... If I hadn't known, like if I, because I know that Dingus would have given me so much grief, otherwise I would have stood up and gone, noise, and done a fist yeah. bump in the audience like that at that moment. They actually made Star Trek cool. That's yeah. the first time I've seen that yeah. in my life. Star Trek I've is never thought Star Trek was cool. Until yeah, it's for dorks, and it is dorks. It's, a, it's dorks, it's by dorks, for dorks, of dorks. <laughs> like, I like Wrath of Khan, but as a dork. Like, the cool me doesn't think Wrath of Khan is good. But, uh, yeah, Star Trek Beyond. And also, that's the other, the other surprising thing is, like, a Star Trek movie and a Star Wars movie came out in the same year, and the Star Trek movie was the one that I'd take home. 
Oh, Star Wars. One I threw out of a moving car. Dingus, actually, where would they <laughs> fall? Where would they fall for you? Because I know you liked Rogue One, and I know you like Star Trek Beyond. You have to make you have to erase one movie from the face of the earth. Dingus, Star Trek Beyond or Rogue One? You have to one? wipe memory wipe. Yep. Which one do you pick, Dingus? Flesh. Memory. Flesh. Wait, I have to erase one movie from from all earth? of existence. Yeah, from all of existence. It's either Star Trek Star. I'm sorry, Star Trek Beyond. Which I think is how it should actually be said. Modernaria Nebula. Modernaria Nebula. Mustafarian Nebula? Or Rouge One. Darn it. See? Um, really? That's that gonna, close? You'd have to think about it? Did you I, lo- I loved Rogue One. I, th- I, I totally disagreed with you guys on that. I don't get it. We, we, we all know this. We all know this fact. I think that... Dingus, it, quit it, avoiding it, the, the decision. You are you being called out. You must do this, or they both get wiped from the face of the earth. I want to murder Rogue One. Oh, wow. That's right, Dingus. <laughs> you want to murder Rogue One? Yeah. Said? Yeah. There's nothing. It's so... <sighs> Kelly Wand, quit, quit getting right. Dingus off the hook. All right, all right. All right, for the sabotage moment alone, I'll keep Star Trek Beyond. Nice! Yeah. <laughs> you have to. You have to. My most surprising movie of 2016, because uh, I went to see it kind of as a filler after I saw something else. I was like, yeah, I'll duck into this and probably leave halfway through. Saw, saw the whole thing and was like, wait a minute. That was good. I liked that. Uh, and I kind of wish we'd done a podcast on uh, it. I do I want you guys eventually to see it. Kelly Wan, guess my most surprising movie of 2016. Deepwater Horizon? You got the name wrong, but you got the movie right. Deep Sea Horizon. <laughs> Deep Sea Horizon. What the yeah. fuck's Deepwater Horizon? Why do I keep uh, saying that? Deepwater Horizon Wait, is, it Deepwater is Horizon? the name of the movie. Shoot a monkey. I wrote Deep Sea Horizon. Kelly Wan, let me edit um, this podcast real quick. surprising movie of the year is a movie he doesn't know the title of. Yeah, I like it. I'm not surprised, though, so it should be my least surprised. <laughs> Is the Tom? Uh, but it makes you Horizon. I definitely yeah. Why deep would you call that? That's retarded. At least I didn't say. At least I didn't say Deep Ocean Horizon. That's a good point. You're, deep Water Horizon sounds like the sequel to Deep Blue Sea. Deep Wait, water. is it Deep Sea or Deep Water Horizon? You guys are now confused. Water. Come on, on. nothing's called Deep, deep Sea Horizon. I'm telling sense. you, it's Deep Horizon's Water Horizon. Horizontal and deep, deep's vertical. You fool. It's is Deep it Water Horizon. I really wanted to watch this before we did our list, but I couldn't get around to it. But it's deep water, Tom. Come on. Oh, it's one word. That's why I'm confused. Yeah. Deep, dark water. waters. Dark it's deep, waters. Wa- deep Wahlberg horizon. Uh, but I, I now want to see Patriot Day because, uh, because of that. So who'd have thought? Dingus, what? what? Because it's about a disaster or something terrible? Oh, no, Patriot Day is also Peter Berg. Peter Berg did Deepwater Horizon, and he did Patriot Day. Uh, so I, I feel like P- Peter Berg just – he, you always like Peter Berg. No, you I don't. Like, no, I don't. You like uh, the rundown? I like the rundown, but then he does crap like The Kingdom. Uh, what are his other? No, he's done some terrible, forgettable uh, half-assed things, I think. Tom loved Battleship. Oh, that's right, Kelly Wand. That's right, from the director of Battleship, right? See? <laughs> you love Battleship? It's actually called Battleboat. Battleboat. Uh, <laughs> Battle Sea. Dingus, what is your most surprising movie of 2016? Here's a quote from it. Forgive me, I occasionally struggle with metaphor. Rogue One. No. Uh, so this is this is where my uh, my buddy thing comes from, and this is a movie called Morgan uh, that I really actually love. Quite uh, a bit. You saw Morgan. 
uh, I was uh, very surprised by it, and I think it falls apart, unfortunately, at the, in the third act. No, uh, really? Yeah. It, it, because yeah, of it, where it goes or because of the, the, the supposed reveal? What, what's your problem with the third act? Without spoiling things. Um, let, me, let me just say, in case this is what you're thinking about, uh, I, I can imagine some people saying, oh, I can see that coming a mile away. I think the, mo- the movie knows you can see that coming a mile away. The well, mo- yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's any reveal. I mean, it, I'm not talking about the reveal. Okay. The, yeah, I, I don't think there's a twist. Um, so, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, um, I don't know, the murdering and punching stuff that starts to happen. <laughs> Dingus doesn't like murdering and punching. Okay, fair enough. I, I guess I get what you're saying. I love it, that shit. I love murdering and punching. It starts out very cerebral and talky. I don't yeah. like kicking as much. And and, I th- and it's just, it was, it's, I can't quite figure out what's going on with Anna, Anya Taylor-Joy in this movie. Um, because it looks like she's almost like being... It looks like her face is almost being given like uh, Avatar treatment. I mean, like Tarkin. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Go ahead, I, I went I went to see Morgan uh, and spent the entirety of that movie thinking, I think I've seen that chick in something. I don't know what, but uh, huh? I'll have to look her up afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then when her name came up at the end of the screen, I was like, the chick from The Witch. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just makeup. I think it's just a really inventive makeup job, and the cast. Oh my god! Oh, I did I not expect. <laughs> I did not expect this cast to be in people, this movie. People keep showing up. You're like, and him, and her, and him, and now him, and her. What? <laughs> and right, and he's going to be in this one scene and then get killed immediately. Okay, what? What's happening? Why is he here? Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I ended up really loving this movie. It was. Uh, it was almost list-worthy for a while. I was really surprised by it. I expected nothing from this uh, person named Luke Scott. Huh? Who's I, he related to, Dingus? Who's who's? How did he get a director directorial position? It's weird to see. I mean, it's always weird to see that. I, I wish they would change the logo for Scott Free. Why? Um, because <sighs> Tony Scott jumped off a bridge. I don't want to see this crow flying. And it's, and it's oh, a and bird. I, that part, <laughs> you guys, oh my gosh, it's like a ra- oh, you guys are terrible. Yeah, yes, well, let's so see this, this was, and I suppose you don't want Tony Scott's nephew working anymore. No, I, I want any of them working, but I don't like that logo. That logo creeps me out. Can I, can I bring up something that really bothers me? Yeah. Uh, so you go to a movie and you see that you see the logo for the studio, right? It gets its little moment in the spotlight with its logo, and then the movie starts. And then the credits play, and in the credits, they get to say again a Scott Free production. Like, yeah. like when a movie has credits, if you've showed us the logo, you're not allowed to be in the credits anymore. You're done. You, you put your name up in my face. I don't need it a second time in a title card. Thank you very there, much. There's that yeah. one studio logo where it's a tiger in a jungle, and I was getting yeah, excited. Uh, Mandalay. Like, tiger. That's yeah, Mandalay, yeah. yeah. Mandalay, yeah, yeah. Man- oh, Mandalay Industries. And then I'm bummed out. It's like, oh, it's a logo. <laughs> you might think, all oh, right, you thought that was the movie starting. Yeah, I thought it was Apocalypto. <laughs> like, uh, gonna have a tiger fight, gonna eat something. Um, but I, I'm shocked at the, at the cast of this movie. I'm shocked at how well it's put together. I love the ideas in it. I kind of wish it had gone in a slightly different direction. Uh, there are things I thought were going to happen. Uh, I particularly 
I particularly liked this dude named Boyd Holbrook. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. else I've seen him in, but he plays this cook in the movie. And I just – that guy, he's just one of those actors that you see and you're like, yeah, I, I watch anything that dude is in. Uh, I really like that guy very much. Uh, yeah, he, he's great. He's like super watchable. What have I – I think we saw him – he's one of the – I think bad guys in Jane Got a Gun. Uh, oh. But I, he's also in um, – uh, uh, did you guys see the that Liam Neeson uh, thing, A Walk in the Tombstones, which wasn't very good? He plays like a bad guy in that. He's super watchable there. But yeah, I like him a lot as well. Yeah. Does that movie live up to the title? Does he walk? Uh, I think Kelly Wand, it's a metaphor. The only thing that I wrote down that he was in was in something you – I think you saw, Tom, called Run All Night. Did oh, that? no, that's right. Is he the son in that? Is that right? I don't know. I just – I remember you talking about Run All Night and liking that. Yeah, because Run All Night is a is vintage Juan Colette Serac. Oh, all right. Gesundheit. <laughs> Wait, so they're not real tombstones? Uh, it's it's a you know it's got to be something that's like from a novel and I'm sure in the novel they explain it. Stupid books. Anyway, he's just a he's just one you know he's he's cooking over there and and he's just like, dude, I I like that dude. I'll watch that guy. And I like the I like that um, in Morgan it doesn't end up like oh dude saves the day. I like it's the chicks chicks and chicks and Rose Leslie I. I cannot stop watching her. She is so I, – I just think Rose Leslie is so friggin' hot. I See, like Kelly Wan? So See? See? He's right about that, but I don't like movies where it's just someone's name. It's like a restaurant. It's like <laughs> Annie's or something. Yeah, because you don't know, is it a biopic? What did this yeah. person do? Who are they? Why? I always assume it's a horror movie because it's like Martin's a horror movie. Oh, I never assume it's a horror movie. Oh, I guess you're right, though. Martin, yeah. I always assume if it's uh, a spooky name, like Willard – this also, Dingus, I just, I mean, she's certainly pretty, and I've seen her and stuff before, and I was like, yeah, she's fine. But Kate Morrow was really, uh, like, it, it, she was just, she was doing something very specific, like, she was acting. I'm like, oh, look at, yeah. I mean, like, look at Kate Morrow go. She's, all right, she knows what she's doing. She's not just pretty. That's fun. Uh, so that that was great to watch her as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, really surprised by how good that movie was. All right, well, Dingus, what's a movie this year that was really disappointing to you? <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, uh, no, they were all great. <laughs> Sorry uh, to say this, Chris Markinson, but Deadpool uh, disappointed the crap out of me. Wow, you're getting Chris uh, Markinson back. He's griefing yeah. you with his top ten. You're griefing him with your most disappointing. Interesting. Right. It was it was a close call between this and American Honey and Hail Caesar, but I'm I'm you know Deadpool has to has to take the cake and. <sighs> I mean, you can listen to the podcast to hear me rant on and on about how I I don't like it and the many ways I don't like it. But yeah, Deadpool, it, it's a disappointment from soup to nuts as far as I'm concerned. Literally, Kelly, why did you hear how Dingus got in two runners up with his most disappointing? Yeah, it's there's a lot of disappointments though, so I kind of know. <laughs> like I had a lot of runners up, and I had to really think about. Like it was almost the most fun choice is most disappointing. Well, what was your I, – I, so I already mentioned mine was Arrival. So, Kelly Wan, what was the most disappointing movie that you saw this year? Uh, I'd have to say it was a real toss-up, but I finally went with Doctor Strange because I, I didn't – I never expected Rogue One to be good, really. But Doctor Strange, for some reason, I thought was going to be super psychedelic and crazy. And, like, after Deadpool, I thought, oh, wait, the Marvel's going to go nuts now. Like, they're just going to make the crazy movies. And it's, like, the weirdest character 
who can do it. It's like the strange. Like they're gonna have to literally make him strange. And he wasn't strange, and the movie wasn't strange. It was boring. He should be called like Doctor. Yeah, Doctor Boring or Doctor Mundane or Doctor Convenient. Yeah. It was yeah. just like a Thor movie. It was really uh, oh, bland, <laughs> and Doctor Annoying. Yeah, and his powers were not very articulated, and he runs away for most of the movie. <laughs> and but um, Kelly Wan, he's got he's got an awesome magic cloak. Yeah, the cloak. The cloak That's chooses fine. him. The cloak yeah. likes him better than you do. All right, it's Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Dingus, what is this final category? I never know what to call it. Uh, I guess you've said I always call it crapshoot. I always call it best miscellaneous thingy. Uh, it's just a, a moment or a thing in a movie that just captures me in a certain way. Um, so uh, it's just that best, that, the best thing that happens uh, over the course of the year that you're just like, man, that that is something that I will always remember. I will always remember that moment. So it's it might just have, a miscellaneous thing. Go ahead, Tom. I'd have done this That's wrong. Not what I said. Yeah, I didn't. Do I mean, it. I came up with a miscellaneous thingy, and I kind of cheated because it, this movie got knocked off my top ten uh, at the last minute. It would be number eleven, but I do love this thingy in it, and I remember this thingy. And this thingy has a lot of personality. This thingy is a prominent part of this movie, and this thingy is Melissa Rauch's ponytail in The Bronze. That's a, that's a perfect choice. That's okay, a perfect good. choice. Because yeah. she definitely uses it. Like when she's walking and it sways back and forth, and when she lays down on the gym mat with Haley Lou Richardson and she just strings it up in the top of her. Uh, like cat's tail. Yeah, and it, it's just physic. It's a, it, it gets to the physicality of this woman's comedic performance, and this mm-hmm. I love that this woman could do this comedic character. I mean, the movie tanked, unfortunately, because I think people have a double standard about having a crass dude like Danny McBride and a crass chick like Melissa Rauch doing this character. But uh, I loved the how the ponytail tied into her performance. She was a small, powerful, vulgar firecracker, and that ponytail was like her lit fuse. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it, and I can immediately see it in my head the yeah. moment you say it. Yeah. So that is my favorite miscellaneous thingy, Kelly Wand. What it's like in- this weird gymnastic metronome? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's exactly. Yeah. There's a little metronome quality to it, uh, and just having her hair up like that is just so adorable. And the funny thing too, it's part of how I mean, she's a beautiful woman. You see her all dolled up for awards for Big Bang Theory or whatever, and you're like, wow, that chick is hot. You know, it comes out at times in the bronze, but part of the severity of that ponytail is how they hide how beautiful Melissa Roush is. Yeah. yeah. All but right, Kelly. Something youthful about ponytails too. So it's well, and that's the point of her character too: is she can't right. let go of that that youth. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly Wand, your favorite miscellaneous thingy of 2016 is, and now you fill in the blank. Uh, best dance sequence is uh, Nocturnal Animals, the beginning one. And uh, funniest <laughs> robot was the drone in Blair Witch. Although Rogue One gets horrible. Ah, you saw Blair Witch. What? I did because I had to. I thought it might make my top ten, but it was almost my most disappointing. But I like some things in Blair Witch. Um, Come on, name one thing you liked in the Adam Wingard Blair Witch. I like the time stuff. Oh, uh, like, you know, there, there were some things that you were like, I kind of am glad. It's too bad they didn't play with that kind of stuff yeah. in a better movie. Yeah, yeah. the deaths are mostly lame, actually. Oh like, that's yeah. the weak stuff. But I like the metaphysics, um, and I really love that drone. I 
thought it was hilarious. <laughs> the, the last drone scene's my favorite scene in the movie. It's so stupid. It's so funny. And the sounds it's making are really... It does make me wonder, does Adam Wingard know how ridiculous... Because you can't go to... Now when I go to a movie, you know, what used to be a helicopter shot is always a drone shot, and I'm always aware of how eerily steady it is. Uh, yeah. We mentioned our favorite birds. There's a scene at the end of uh, Remains of the Day where it's a shot pulling away, and it's supposed to be like a bird perspective, and it's a helicopter, and you can tell. But these days it would be a drone, and it would be preternaturally yeah. smooth. Uh, so, yeah, I wonder, is Adam Wingard making fun of what drones have done to movie making? Maybe he is. I- Hope so. And I was I was sort of hoping for a better payoff when the drone got introduced. I got kind of excited, like, oh, they're going to take a drone into the Blair Witch. Exactly. Right. Exactly. What's going to happen? That's going to be crazy. Like, what's it going to see? Yeah. And then it winds up not really seeing anything very interesting. And so I was kind of like, ah, fuck the drone, man. Totally whiffed on the drone and Blair Witch. Like, you may as well not have had it. But then I, if you think about the last scene with the drone, it's actually kind of good. Sure. And I'm stupid. And like, why is she doing that <laughs> with a broken? <laughs> it's so, so dumb. And the drone's just like taunting her, like. <laughs> is is Blair Witch for Dingus? No, it's not really for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Grasshoff's in it for a minute. Sort of that character. What? Oh, are you one of the characters reminded you of someone you know? You're saying? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Uh, but I, I kind of like I like when the guy goes calm check, too. Right, yeah, that was well. You know, Adam Wingard, a crappy Adam Wingard horror movie is not as bad as a normal crappy movie. Yeah, I mean, Blair Witch is crappy. It's terrible, but at least it's not as terrible as you know those, those kinds of movies. Are, of the shadows. Uh, okay. I mean, I I don't even remember that one, but yeah, sure. As far as a follow up to Blair Witch, yeah. Uh, Dingus, your favorite miscellaneous thingy of 2016 is? All right, I'm going to uh, cheat a little bit because there's two from the same. Oh, my game. God, Kelly Wand. He did runners-up for most disappointing, and now he's <laughs> cheating. He's doing two. Okay, fine. I'm gonna, I have a, another miscellaneous thingy I'm going to bring up when you're done, Dingus. Yeah, these are both from uh, La La Land. Um, I knew as soon as I saw this happen that this was going to be uh, one of my best miscellaneous thingies. And it's Ryan Gosling's take upon entering his apartment. Oh, my uh, God. Ryan Gosling doing a jump take like that is – yeah. <laughs> it's revealed that Laura, who is Rosemary DeWitt, is in there already. I just – the moment I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is another reason I love this movie. That, that, that look. I just love the way he does that. It's just a beautiful little thing that an actor does that only he can do in that particular way. I loved it. I loved it. He does it, too, to the weird archy thing, the archy electricity thing in the Griffith Observatory. Oh, yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah. So he gets a couple of those in. They're a character trait. It's also very old-timey, too, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. an, it's an exaggerated comedic response that uh, Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling decided to put in there, and it, it fits, and it's adorable, isn't Not it? Not everyone can get away with like yeah, Kellen yeah. Lutz couldn't do it. <laughs> Kellen Lutz doing a jump take, a startle take. Yeah, I'd like <laughs> Kellen Lutz in as Gosling. In. You know, frankly, Kelly Wand, I, I would like to. I would. I would watch an entire reel of that. Kellen Lutz trying to do That's jump takes. Point. So or sing well, a dance. You know, just let's set our watches and our calendars to find out how long it's going to take for La La Land to be on Broadway, and Kellen Lutz to be in it, or somebody else. Ooh, uh, making see, a movie's good. Yeah, like the freeway stuff. I, I don't want to see You know that. what, though, Kelly Wand? Uh, Kelly Wand, I bet Dingus is right. Like, I could see it doing very well and being adapted into a Broadway musical. Ew. Yeah, but I wouldn't go see it. 
I wouldn't go, oh, I got to, I don't know. But I wouldn't want to see other people play it, play those two characters. I know. I wonder if that'll happen. Ew, Dingus, I hope you're wrong. It just feels, that just feels oogie. I'm right, pretty so Dingus, sure I'm right. <laughs> what's your second, what's the other, you were good, so you said there are two things. Is there another one that's in La La Land it, or is it related? It's it's La La Land. It's Mia just it's Mia changing her shoes uh, when she changes her shoes for the tap routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. I love that moment so much. Uh, it's just so special to me because uh, of how much I love this singing in the rain. Uh, good morning, good morning, tap scene, and I love the fact that she's changing into shoes, and I love his shoes in that scene. But I like that she's changing out of her weird uh, high heels. Not weird, but, you know, her awkward high heels into shoes that she can actually dance in. And that she's just sitting down to change her shoes so that we can have a dance sequence. It's it's just such an obvious, okay, we're going to have a dance sequence, and I am going to change my shoes so that we can do that. Uh, I, I, I love that moment. I love it so much. Well, uh, to be fair, it does get the first line in that scene is uh, Ryan Gosling saying those look comfortable, like he's commenting on yeah, her shoes. So right. they do set it up, I guess, just so you know. It is, it oh, is no. uh, yeah. it's it's narratively consistent. Oh yeah, I totally I totally <laughs> understand that, and I, and I know that uh, I've seen women like go like these are my walking shoes, these are my work shoes. I'm going to change. I have uh, other shoes in my bag, but I just love that that actually happens there before their dance sequence. Because I love, I can, I can just, I can, this is, that's one of those moments I can push play in, in my head and watch the two of them do that dance. And I cannot wait to see this movie again, uh, mainly because of that. Um, I mean, I love that opening scene on the freeway. That's wonderful. But I just, I just want to see that scene again and again and again and again. Uh, it's on YouTube, by the way. I don't want to see it on YouTube. I want to see it in the context of the movie again. All right. It holds up in isolation, just so you know. You can I watch know, it. but I just want to see the movie again. I'm so excited to see the movie again. Since uh, Dingus cheated, I'm going to bring up another favorite miscellaneous thingy. There's a bit in, I mentioned this on the podcast, there's a bit in Manchester by the Sea where Kara Hayward opens one of those little bowls of yogurt that has the foil over it, and I thought, those look good. I'm, I'm going to buy one of those next time I'm at the store. And ever since then, I've been enjoying Kara Hayward yogurts. They're really good. Kara <laughs> so, Hayward. Yeah. Kelly, one. Do you have another uh, miscellaneous thing you want to bring up because Dingus and I cheated? Mentioned two. No, I had two. The drone and the best dancing. Right, exactly, Kelly Wand. So that's he, enough of he that. Started it. <laughs> uh, all right, next week. So that's 2016. That's a wrap. Uh, Your walk's over. Yeah, unfortunately. Play. Sorry, sorry, Patterson. Uh, we didn't get to see Sully. you. Sorry, sorry, Silence. Sully. Right. We missed a lot of movies, but we blame them. It's their fault that, uh, for whatever reason, we didn't get to see them. Sorry, I'm sorry for that eight-hour um, uh, O.J. Simpson documentary. I really wanted to see that. Oh, yeah. Not a movie. Not a movie. Oh, That's you're right. Yeah, I know. Uh, although, after the Golden Globes again, this whole uh, night manager thing, I'm like, well, whatever the heck that is, I guess i got to watch it now. Because that won all the awards also. So, oh, that's the Tom Hiddleston thing you were talking about? Yep, and we'll discuss that on our TV podcast, I guess. All right, excellent. Next yeah. week, we would like you to join us as we see... Uh, what did we decide? I can't... Where did I... Monsters. We, oh, yeah, uh, a monster calls, a call, a monster... A monster calls, we're seeing when that. A monster, when a strange monster calls. <laughs> uh, From a, inside the house. A sea yeah. monster calls. Uh uh, so see that uh, if you have some comments on it send them to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com in a separate email from 
the three by three we're doing next week, which is the worst opening shots. Oh God! In movies, how the hell are you supposed to remember them? Kelly, one, just put it. Start watching a lot of movies. Fortunately, it, they take the, the thing you're looking for is early on in the movie. <laughs> this oh, yeah. is not a this is not a topic where you have to try to find the scene. Exactly, <laughs> it's pretty easy to find. So, so good luck That's with that. True. Uh, listeners, you have another week to send in your picks for worst opening scenes, and it can just be one. <laughs> send those. Ke- Kelly's are going to be those ones with the Mandalay. Um, <laughs> Kelly, that is not a part. They're Studio- misleading. Right now, I'm I'm calling it Studio Logos off the table. <laughs> I don't like this. It's just a bunch of credits and words. <laughs> week. <laughs> Episode what? Four. <laughs> So thanks for joining us. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Moronsky. It's Christian Moroski. Oh, that's exactly what I say every time. I don't know why you correct me. And we had Kelly Wand. It's James Bond. He's not going to be in the whole movie, is he? Ugh. <laughs> it's not a day of sun. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Uh, Dingus, it's too bad Last Witch Hunter wasn't this year, or it would have been on all my top tens, all ten of them. And most disappointing, Dance Sequence. Also. As well. (sighs) Why do you say romantic like it's a dirty word? Uh, is that from Morgan? Yep. <laughs> <laughs>